This episode of Behind the Bots is brought to you by FingerTech Robotics, North America's top manufacturer of combat robotics parts. If you're interested in building your first combat robot, check out FingerTech's Viper Kit, which includes everything you need to build a fully functional, competitive ant weight. FingerTech also carries a complete line of wheels, hubs, motors, and other components if you want to build a bot from the ground up. Check them out online at www.fingertechrobotics.com. From a secret vault, carefully guarding the stolen stunt nut, this is Behind the Bots, the podcast that brings you the stories of the builders behind BattleBots. I'm Chris. I'm Luke. I'm Lindsay. And I'm Kyle. And I'm Hudson. Whoa! And today on the podcast, our interview with Witch Doctor Captains, Mike and Andrea Glately. We'll wrap up the show with this week's installment of Robots Around the World. If you like our show, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, CastBox, Player FM, and Podbean. You can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Behind the Bots. And if you like what you hear, tell a friend. We really appreciate your support. Time now for this season's final round of Snap Decisions, where we make ill-informed predictions about the 2020 BattleBots Championship and score them against your ill-informed predictions. We had two people call six out of eight fights correctly. Those two were Noel Viegas and our very own Kyle Kroos. Kyle, congratulations. I finally got one right, guys. <laughs> I feel like uh, I feel like your success last week was due to your contrarian nature. I feel like um, I've seen now a pattern over the last 90 or so fights that uh, you like to take the, the road less traveled. Um, and that really worked out for you last week. That's part of it. A lot of it is also like I, I have faith in things that don't always work out. For instance, I had faith in the fact that the Ribot boys were just dialed in and uh, that worked out. Smart, smart. Um, taking a closer look at the data, the sure shot was Whiplash versus Valkyrie with 28 out of 30 people correctly predicting that Whiplash would win. The biggest upset was Tantrum versus Bloodsport with just one person correctly predicting that Tantrum would win. All right, uh, let's run through this week's top eight matches. This is going to be slightly different format this week, so we're going to go through the four fights that we know, and then we're going to switch over to individual predictions, including Hudson, uh, to see who we think will win the Giant Nut. Okay, so uh, starting with Hydra versus Whiplash. Hydra coming in at the number one seed, Whiplash coming in at the number eight seed, Kyle, your prediction here. Oh man, Hydra versus Whiplash is a tough one. Um, if there is any bot that can outdrive Hydra and embarrass them by going through that top armor, it's going to be Whiplash. That said, it's so hard to bet against Hydra. It is so hard to bet against Hydra. I'm going for Whiplash, like I want Whiplash to win, but I think it's going to be Hydra. So there you go. That's my that's my thought process. So the same with me. The same with you. Tell us tell us what you think is going to happen. Yeah. Hydra and Whiplash are going to fight. Who do you think is going to win? I want Whiplash. I think he's really cool. I like his name. I like his look. Mm-hmm. 
it would be cool if he was blue, but I still like him the color he is. Yeah. I don't even remember Hydra. Hydra's the flipper bot. Oh. Burn! Burn! Yeah, it has the teeth at the end. That's right. Yeah. Exactly. I, the same as you. Yeah, you think so? You think you think Hydra's going to win? Yeah, but I want Whiplash to win. I think it's really cool. Yeah, I agree. Whiplash is really cool. <laughs> well said, Hudson. All right, Chris, your prediction. Yeah, Kyle, earlier you said, like, if there was one bot that could probably make it through the top armor of Hydra this season, it'd be, it'd be Whiplash. I would have said it, it would be huge. Uh, but we all saw what, um, what Hydra is willing to do to eke out that, that W. So I, you, you really can't like overlook that X factor. Um, so I'm going to probably join you here and I'm going to say it's going to be Hydra because the, you know, despite the fact that we've seen incredible performances here at Whiplash, it's just like it's kind of like the um, the hero's sidekick is about to go up against the villain in one of the final showdowns, and the villain always takes out the sidekick, and mm -hmm. uh, that's that's what I see. Okay, Lindsay, your prediction: Hydra versus Whiplash. Listen, I probably haven't called a match for Hydra all season, and I'm not going to start now. I think that. <laughs> No, you know, I think that a lot of their wins have not been extremely compelling. Um, they beat an uh, ailing witch doctor, and they did not fight huge, and they still won. So I think that Whiplash is not, is not going to succumb to the same things that the other bots have. I think that Whiplash is going to be able to give Hydra a run for its money and actually outdrive Hydra. And I, I just... I, I see Whiplash as the clear winner. I'll probably eat my words because who knows what Jake is going to come up with. Um, but I'm just going to go on the record and say I've not been super impressed with all of Hydra's wins. And I've been very impressed with almost all of, yeah, with all of Whiplash's wins. So that's what it comes down to for me. And I'm not a Hydra hater. Like, I, I get everything. But at the end of the day, that's how I feel. You almost convinced me to join you. Almost. <laughs> Uh, for me, this match is going to come down to two things. One, the ground game. We've seen Hydra get really low in this competition. They're able to consistently get under their opponents. We saw that this week with their fight against Gigabyte. So I have concerns about Whiplash's ability to get really low. I don't think it's really known for that. Um, and the second thing is durability. So if in theory, Whiplash gets tossed 13 times in the air and lands on that arm multiple times. Will it be able to continue running in this competition? I have questions about that. So with a heavy heart, I am going to predict that Hydra will win this match. All right, on over to Ribot versus Black Dragon. Kyle, your prediction here. Ribot is just funny. Ribot is funny. Um, all right, so Black Dragon is in great shape. They have a million different wedge configurations. They have a million different defensive capabilities. And Ribot has one bot left and one weapon left. We found out today from a post on Ribot's Facebook page that um, in their last fight, they lost their undercutter. It's gone now. 
and basically one of their chassis all gone now. All they have left is their vertical um, and their lifter, but they don't use the lifter. And I don't see them being able to get under Black Dragon. And at this point, even if they outdrive Black Dragon, I think as long as Black Dragon's able to keep enough of the front of the, blo the bot facing them, they're going to be able to pull out the win. So I'm going for Ribot. I really like betting on Ribot, but they are at 40% going into this fight, whereas Black Dragon's at nearly 100. Got it. Hudson, your prediction, Ribot versus Black Dragon. Ribot is just funny. Ribot is funny, but they're also super powerful. Yeah. So who do you think will win, Black Dragon or Ribot? I think Ribot might need to use his lifter. You think he might need to use his lifter? Yeah. <laughs> I don't think he's going to. But if he if he did use his lifter, who do you think you would win? Black Dragon or Ribot? I don't know. He's like I said it while his microphone was off. This is a tough one. It is a tough one. Yeah. I, I can't decide. Oh no. Hmm. If you had to make a guess, Ribot has beaten a lot of good bots. Black Dragon won the Desperado tournament last year. Super powerful. So if you had to guess, what do you think? Just pick one real quick. Oh, no. I just, I don't know. <laughs> I want Ribot to, to win. He always dresses up based on his opponent. I think I think he might put paper fire. Because he's uh, fighting a dragon? Yeah. That would be pretty silly if he put paper <laughs> fire on because he's facing a dragon. Yeah. <laughs> Because <laughs> he always dresses up based on his on his opponent. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty silly. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's let's go ahead and say that you're betting on Ribot for this one. Yeah. All right. Cool. Mm -hmm. Right, Ribot. Chris, your prediction. I think if you if you review the metrics of all of our predictions uh, throughout the season, um, Hudson might crush me. Uh, therefore, I'm gonna I'm gonna agree. You're going to go with uh, with Ribot. Yes. All right. I love it. Uh, Lindsay, your prediction? So originally I was going to say Ribot, but I did not see the post that Kyle uh, was referring to earlier today. So that kind of changes a lot of things. So with a heavy heart, well, no, because I like Black Dragon too. Uh, I'm going to say Black Dragon, and that's uh, I'm going to be excited and celebrate Ribot's extraordinary journey to this point along the way. All right, I am. I am going to say Ribot. Um, I, I I think that Ribot's aggressive driving style. Um, I, I I think I think they've they've outdriven Black Dragon so far this year. Um, their aggressive style, I think I think will will work. I I've, I was really impressed with the reliability of their robot in their last match um, with Uppercut. And I think that they may be able to pull this one out. So uh, I'm going to go with Ribot. Um, all right. On over to Tantrum versus Sawblaze. Kyle, your prediction. This is going to be such a fun match. And Tantrum is going to do a really great job. And then Sawblaze is going to win. That's my prediction. Why do you think that will happen? Well, man, Sawblaze has just been driving so well this year. And their weapon is ridiculously powerful. The one place that... 
Tantrum is not a super tanky armored bot is on top. So I think that Sawblaze has a great chance of hitting something crucial on the top of Tantrum and winning the fight. Yeah, but Tantrum can punch fire now. Tantrum can punch fire. And he yeah. still has a spinner punch. Yeah, he still has a really powerful so spinner it, punch. I don't know. It's going to be spinner against spinner. It's true. So what do you think? Tantrum or Sawblaze, Hudson? Tantrum looks nothing like he's having a tantrum. <laughs> it looks like he's having a tantrum. <laughs> <laughs> so who do you think is going to win? Tantrum or Sawblaze? Uh, tantrum, he doesn't look much like he's having a tantrum to me, so... I'm going for Tantrum. All right, Tantrum for Hudson. Because he's super funny. I, that's who I want to win. Yeah, he's a funny bot. I agree. I, that's who I want to win. I don't think he'll win. I oh, think you Sob think Sawblaze will win? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I like Tantrum. All right, so Hudson's rooting for Tantrum, but he thinks Sawblaze is going to win. Yeah. I like Sawblaze oh, and Tantrum. That's true. Perfect. Chris, your prediction, Tantrum versus Sawblaze. Uh, Tantrum has had a, a Cinderella season, if there ever was one. And the moment it steps into that box uh, with Sawblaze, the uh, the clock is going to strike midnight, and it's finally going to turn back into a pumpkin. Really? Sawblaze is, uh, is going to really smash that pumpkin. All right. Lindsay, will you be leading the Sawblaze into victory yet again this week? Oh, it feels so good. Um, yes. <laughs> and, uh, uh, yeah, I think, you know, it's going to go all three minutes, I imagine, but Tantrum is going to be a nice tasty little package for Sawblaze to send around the arena, get into a corner and then attack that top armor. Right. And I will also go with Sawblaze. All right. And, uh, our final uh, match of the top eight, Kyle, your prediction, Shatter versus Endgame. All right, so Shatter versus Endgame is going to be a ridiculously fun match. I think Shatter's going to get some great hits in, but man, Endgame has it all together this year. They've got the ground game. They've got the probably the most powerful spinner aside from Uppercut. It, it, it is hard to bet against Endgame this year. They have just been running through bots. Uh, yeah, I'm going to give this one to Endgame. Could be wrong, but... I'm going to give it to Endgame. Hudson, what's your thoughts? I wonder if Endgame still has his glasses. If he does, I want Endgame to win. And, but I also think that he's going to win. So Endgame, Endgame for me. Endgame for Hudson. Okay. Perfect. Chris, your prediction, Shatter versus Endgame. I think... Um, Shatter's had a great season, but it's really going to come down to the sunglasses. And I'm going to say Endgame. <laughs> All right. Uh, Lindsay, your prediction. I agree. With everything everyone has said, Endgame. Wild. I am going to go with Shatter. Um, I've been really impressed with Shatter's ability to take big hits um, this season. I think that it's a blade of armor is going to survive in this match. What I'd really like to see a stretch goal is for Shatter's huge hammer to come down on the top of Endgame and either jostle something loose or break a weapon belt. 
Um, and I think that uh, our favorite builders from Brooklyn will be able to pull it out this Thursday. Um, okay, from here, let's switch over to individual predictions. Um, so starting with you, Kyle, I'd love to hear three predictions in a row. Um, your, uh, let's see, your first top four matchup, Hydra versus Black Dragon. If it's Hydra versus Black Dragon, then the clear winner of that one is going to end up being Hydra. Okay. And Sawblaze versus Endgame? Sawblaze versus Endgame is going to be a really, really tough match, but I think in the end uh, it is going to go to Sawblaze. Sawblaze, okay. And so uh, the, the Giant Nut Championship match, Hydra versus Sawblaze, who do you think is going to win? I think that Hydra is going to end up winning a match between Sawblaze and Hydra. Wow, okay. I don't like that answer, but I think that's the answer. Hydra giant nut winner. Okay, on over to Hudson. Hudson, you have Hydra versus Ribot. Who do you think is going to win those two matches uh, between those two bots? That's going to Hydra versus Ribot. Ribbit. Ribbit. <laughs> <laughs> so who do you think is going to win, buddy? I think Hydra will just break his weapon with, with the spinner and then he'll have to use his lifter on his other fights. So you think Hydra is going to break Ribot's spinner? Yeah. And then uh, you predicted Sawblaze versus Endgame. Who do you think is going to win that match? Oh, Sawblaze versus Endgame. This is going to be a hard one. Yeah. I really like the stalls, so I really... I think it's going to be Sawblaze. When there's a Saw in the game, I think the the Saw robots are really powerful, so I go for them. Fair enough. Sawblaze. And then so the Giant Nut uh, winner, Hydra versus Sawblaze. Who do you think is going to win? Oh, Hydra versus Sawblaze. Yeah, do you think Sawblaze is going to saw up Hydra, or do you think Hydra is going to flip Sawblaze all over the place? I, I think that one of... Sawblaze's tooth on his on his saw will get stuck on one of Hydra's tooth on the end of his flipper, and they'll go to stuck, and then they'll slam both each other, each other into the screws, and both will lose. <laughs> <laughs> you can't predict they'll both lose. <laughs> I like Hydra. You like Hydra for that match? Yeah. All right. Fair enough. On over to Chris. Uh, Hydra versus Ribot, your prediction? I would say in this aquatic-themed battle, it would be Hydra. Hydra, okay. Um, and then Sawblaze versus Endgame. I think that Sawblaze would be able to kind of win that wedge matchup and be able to contain Endgame, so Sawblaze. My, my. Okay. Another prediction for Hydra versus Sawblaze. Uh, giant Nut winner, Chris. 2020 Giant Nut winner. Your prediction, Hydra versus Sawblaze. I would say that this this is this is exactly how I imagined that this would end up, given this, this current spread um, for the, the final episode. And I, uh, I'm really holding my breath, hoping that Sawblaze is able to... Um, to get under Hydra and able to control and, and um, you know, dominate the fight. 
but you know, there's Hydra always has that chance. So, but I am going to say Sawblaze. Sawblaze for Giant Nut. Okay, great. Lindsay, your prediction: Whiplash versus Black Dragon. This is a hard one. I'm going to say Whiplash. Whiplash. Okay. And uh, Sawblaze versus Endgame. I think this is also a tough one. However, if Sawblaze can handle Witch Doctor, I think it can also handle Endgame, especially because Witch Doctor was, you know, it had was dialed in by then. It was at the top of its game uh, of the season. So I'm going with Sawblaze. Perfect. And then uh, for the championship, Whiplash versus Sawblaze, your prediction. It is ending how it all begun. Uh, and I'm going to say Sawblaze. Okay, good. I I think that Hydra and Sawblaze uh, would be a great match, and uh, I do think Sawblaze would also win that. Wow. Okay, so all paths lead to Sawblaze on your bracket, Lindsay. Lindsay, I have to tell you, before we move on to Luke's predictions, your predictions are by far the most poetic and beautiful, and if this were a scripted show, uh, that is how I would want it to go. <laughs> <laughs> Hear that, BattleBots? If you uh, need another producer to script your series, take away the reality. A single tear rolls down Luke's eye, uh, <laughs> who, who prepares our script every week, spending <laughs> at least six to eight hours <laughs> every, every weekend. It's very true. <laughs> um, all right, very quickly, my predictions. Hydra versus Ribot. Um, I think this one, this one goes to Hydra, um, like like people have have predicted. Um, Sawblaze versus Endgame. This is is going to be Sawblaze, I think. So I think we're going to see a Hydra versus Sawblaze um, final, and I'm going to join Chris and Lindsay in in saying that Jameson Go is going to take home the giant nut this year. I am like so excited about that. Um, I I think like the the funniest thing is you know we we've had both of these builders on <laughs> earlier this season on this podcast and one of them had the giant nut at home and was probably staring at it while they were talking to us and you know totally unable to um to reveal you know that uh that they that they had won you know due to their nda so whichever one wins i'm gonna go back and re-listen to that episode uh and see if i can pick out any uh any clues one of them might have the giant nut and the other one might have the stolen stunt nut <laughs> <laughs> well we're, we're gonna have to see on thursday i can't believe this is the last week um of BattleBots. i feel like the last three months has just flown by i'm really really excited about 2021 um and I just think that this this season has been so so incredible. So looking forward to talking about it more uh, next week. Time for this week's combat robotics news. I have two news items for you today. First up, BattleBots has released dates for the final two episodes of BattleBots Bounty Hunters with bots Witch Doctor and Son of Wayachi. Witch Doctor's episode will drop this Thursday, March 11th on Discovery Plus while the Son of Boyachi episode will drop next Thursday, March 18th on the same platform. If you aren't currently subscribed to Discovery Plus, BattleBots Bounty Hunters will likely make its way to cable TV later this year. And finally, the team behind Kraken is launching a brand new online merch store with some pretty incredible items. 
I want to highlight three items for sale uh, because I think they may be of interest. First, the team is selling little plush versions of their Narwhal-themed Minibot Wally for $35 each. Very cute. Next up, the team is selling throw pillows for all the wine-drinking Karens in your life with the message, Live, Laugh, Kraken. And finally, they're selling Kraken-branded boxer briefs with the message, Release the Kraken, appearing over the wearer's private parts. They had a chance to call them Krarens. <laughs> Krarens, yes. Um, when, when, I, when I saw the throw pillow, I, I laughed out loud. Um, I just think it's so absurd. And I wonder if they're going to sell a single one of those pillows. And I'd love to see the house that it goes to. <laughs> Um, because it's perfect. You want the neon? I want that pillow. Do you really? I, I haven't seen it, but uh, unless it's hideous, I want that pillow. Lindsay, I think it would be perfect for 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 your house. Um, I I could see it sitting on that that big beautiful couch that you have. Um, it makes sense. Yeah. All right, let's switch gears and get into our recap of episode thirteen. This episode was all about the upsets. On average, our listeners called just four out of eight fights correctly. If you manage to call six fights correctly, you're in rare company. And I'd venture to say there's not a single fan on the planet Earth who called all eight fights. It was just impossible. We just saw upset after upset after upset. And so many of these matches went to the judges. So let's jump into the fights with Sablaze versus Witch Doctor. This was a thrilling, punishing match. Sablaze came out with three long forks and its big plow, while Witch Doctor ran its overhead configuration with extra top armor and no wedgelets. Jameson Go said this match would come down to the ground game, and it did, with Sablaze repeatedly getting under Witch Doctor and landing big hits. Witch Doctor lost several weapon belts, and toward the end, Jameson switched up his strategy and started driving backwards into Witch Doctor, acting like a vertical disc spinner. Jameson ultimately earned the knockout in 2 minutes and 59 seconds. What a thrilling opening to this top 16. Your thoughts on this match? Okay, alright. Here's the thing. If you beat Jameson Go, that's it. You did it. You beat Jameson Go once. You will never, ever do it again. I am convinced of that now. Mm. He will stress and plot and scheme and figure out what you did that beat him, and he will never let that set of variables happen to him ever again. Uh, so, yeah. Great work, Jameson. Great work, Witch Doctor. They put out a great fight. It just the first big hit went to Jameson and then pretty much all the rest of them. Um, in about uh, 20 minutes or so, when, when we get to the uh, the interview, Mike and Andrea Galately from Witch Doctor talk about the behind the scenes leading up to this match. It's really, really interesting. Gives kind of an, an interesting picture into their thinking and their strategy going into this fight. And um, and and you're you're absolutely right. Um, Jameson Go thinks through things very methodically, and I would not want to be on the other end of uh, of that. That brilliant mind of his. Um, so, so yeah, absolutely. This this was a really, really great match. All right, on over to Ribot versus Uppercut. This was our first big upset of the night and our final knockout of the night. Every other fight, the other six, all went to the judges, which was really incredible. For this match, Ribot ran its undercutter configuration, which was an interesting choice against a vertical spinner. In their very first exchange, Ribot had its left wheel ripped off 
And in its second, it had its right wheel ripped off too. But despite that, they were able to angle themselves into a good position away from Uppercut's weapon and effectively push with just two wheels. Rabat landed one big hit, popping Uppercut into the glass and losing its undercutter in the process. But Uppercut's left wheel locked up and it was counted out with Ribot earning the knockout in just 94 seconds, faceless, two wheels gone, still able to move, incredible. Uh, your thoughts on this incredibly destructive and kind of weird match? It was a zombie frog by the end of this match. <laughs> yes, yes. It's like a ghoul that you just, the only way to eliminate it would probably be to burn it down to the molecular level. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um... Yeah, I, I, I was thinking of you know the 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 knight you know with with its with its arms cut off and its legs cut off and uh, you know still going in the fight. Yeah, just a flesh wound. <laughs> it's just a flesh wound. Yes. Um, okay. My big question after this fight was, how can you have controlled movement on two wheels? Somebody explain this to me, please. I remember I turned to Lindsay and I was like, ugh. Two wheels are gone. This fight is over. <laughs> and then right. just, you just watch this, like the little train that could just keeps going. Uh, so it is a four-wheel drive bot. I mean, it's I believe it has two drive motors, but it's chain-driven, so you're able to get all four wheels controlled the same way, right? So the right side of the drive uh, drives is running at the same speed, and the left side of the drive is running at the same speed. Little tank drive situation, from what I recall on Ribot setup, which is why they're able to do that. They're not quite as modular as Duck, but they're as modular as you can be without having basically individual speed controllers and motors for every wheel. I like Duck. I like Duck too. <laughs> um, the Ribot chose to go with their undercutter in this fight because they knew that their vert was not as powerful and they figured the undercutter was the only chance they had to um, get hits on the wheels and disable their opponent. I don't think they were planning on winning this fight. I think they were planning on showing how good they could be uh, against a superior weapon, and um, they certainly ended up pulling out the win just by surviving. And sometimes that's enough. I, I feel like the, the show maybe shortchanges a little bit because they didn't show kind of like that controlled movement. Like I, I, I could have used another 10 or 15 seconds of footage right at the end. Um, some people online complained that it felt like Uppercut was counted out almost immediately. I know that that's just editing and Uppercut was obviously really struggling um, and, and couldn't move, um, you know, have... A, a lot of faith in um, in John Remar and you know his ability to call fights correctly, um, but yeah, like I'd love to see can Ribot move to any corner of the box with ease? Is that enough? Is this technically a double knockout? I mean, there's there's just questions because we didn't see that that extra footage. Um, I only watched this episode because I saw or this fight because I saw the controversy, man. They were having so much trouble, uh, by they, I mean Uppercut was having so much trouble with their drive for a good 20 seconds before yeah. you got to this point. Mm -hmm. um, it didn't look like it because they were still actively engaging and there was you know hits going back and forth, but one side of their drive was pretty much shot. And so I'm not surprised the countdown started when, uh, when it did because they were already missing half their drive. 
Um, clearly, Ribot could move slower, yes, because they were dragging the entire front of their bot, but they were still able to move, and uh, you know, it was very controlled. They were able to turn, they were able to make make adjustments. So, yes, this should not have been a double count. I 100% disagree with the internet on that one. Got it. On number two, Tantrum versus Bloodsports, our second big ups of, of the night and our first split judge's decision. Bloodsport ran its 76 pound, one and a quarter inch thick blade, which made quick work of Tantrum's punching spinner, killing that weapon almost immediately. But Tantrum captain Aaron Hill switched his strategy on the fly and started racking up aggression and control points, getting under Bloodsport and ramming that bot into the arena walls getting it under the pulverizer, at one point pummeling Bloodsport's self-rider into another shape. Bloodsport's weapon kept spinning throughout the match, but didn't land enough damage points to win in the eyes of Jason Bardis and Derek Young, who awarded the win to Tantrum. Your thoughts on this split judge's decision? I have one... Okay, I was not surprised that this decision was split, and I'm not surprised the fight that went, went the way that it go, went. I'm actually very happy with this fight. It was a very entertaining fight. I do have one question, though, and it makes me question Bloodsport's uh, engineering skills. Okay. The pulverizers are 100 pounds, and they only, like, that that actuator on the pulverizers is just pulling those that 100-pound hammer up and then dropping it, right? It's not like there's power behind it dropping. It just drops. So 100 pounds falling from what, like, five, four feet in the air on okay. top of the self-rider of uh, Bloodsport deforms it and crushes it? How is that supposed to, like, lift up an upside-down 250-pound bot? Hmm. Very confused about that. Interesting. That that was your big takeaway from this fight. Is that right, Kyle? Yeah, my engineering brain was like, wait a minute, something's fishy here. That's not how that should work. And that is that is. All I could think about throughout this entire fight was what's up with that self-writer. It should not be bending like that. I think I, I so I, I would love to see an in-depth video from from the team on the the physics of the self-writer bending. I, I think though, in general, when you take a look at the engineering challenge behind building a 250-pound robot, you don't want to over-engineer parts. Um, you know, like yes, we you know they could run a bar that's twice as thick. But, you know, it's a total edge case, you know, that you're going to get stuck under a pulverizer and just get pummeled like five or six times, you know. Um, I think that there's there's probably something to be said for kind of minimum viable engineering so that, you know, it works 95% of the time so that I can put another four pounds into the, the weapon bar. Um, no, but, but, but think about it this way, dude. Like, Bloodsport fights Hydra. Hydra okay. puts them up in the air, and they land on their self-rider from, let's say, eight feet just to be generous. Yeah. Is that self-rider still going to self-write their robot? Hmm. It's no, it's going to get squished flat. Like, I mean, if 100 pounds dropping on it from four feet does that, then 250 pounds from, you know, eight feet is going to just obliterate it. Yeah, yeah. I, I feel like I, if I was a builder, I would it would break my heart to turn my bot upside down 
bring it up to the to eight feet on a forklift and just drop it on itself rider you know and like just keep dropping my my robot um i think like even that is like kind of an edge case as well because you say well let me just get super ground scraping forks and hydro won't get underneath me like there's ways to kind of engineer your way out of it um so i i think like they're 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 probably they're designed for probably hey we went up against a vertical they hit our bar we got flipped over and now we're able to self write one or two times um, but yeah it's it's an interesting question I, I would love to ask the team more about that um, one one of one of my big takeaways from this match was Aaron Hill's excellent driving um, we know that in the off season Aaron uh, really practiced a lot with tantrum and you could see it you could see kind of matt vasquez whiplash kind of esque really you know that that bot being in the right place at all times preventing that bar from spinning up keeping um blood sports up against the arena walls really incredible work from aaron um and i think that that his driving skill has has really propelled this bot and this team deep into this competition Okay, on over to Hydra versus Gigabyte. When I saw that Hydra was in the middle of the the fight card, I um, I was a little confused, and then and then watched the match, and I was like, okay, I, I could see it. Like this wasn't as destructive as I thought it was going to be. Um, this was a match that went the full three minutes. Um, Hydra ran its big plow, which was able to consistently get under Gigabyte. Good driving two from Jake Ewert, who managed to keep Hydra pointed at Gigabyte the entire time, not allowing Gigabyte to get around to his wheels, landing 13 flips in this fight. However, Gigabyte managed to keep running this entire fight, which is an incredible testament to that robot's improved reliability over the season. Um, it even survived pinballing violently across two corners. Um, however, Hydra earned a unanimous judge's decision and extended its career record to 10 and 1, which is like getting, it's reaching up to kind of the bite force echelon of, of uh, undefeated records. Um, your thoughts on this match, Hydra versus Gigabyte? I think the only one of us that has any room to talk right now is Lindsay. Yeah, I mean, it was it was an exciting fight. I think... Uh, it is a testament to Gigabyte that it did last the full three minutes because um, I think, you know, gigabytes of seasons or even matches past, uh, that wouldn't have been possible. It's interesting that Hydra, uh, unless I'm wrong, hasn't knocked out a single opponent all season. So that's interesting. Lindsay, I'm curious. Have you called, have you predicted a single match for Hydra this year? I, I'd have to look back in our notes to see, but... Yeah. Have you consistently voted against Hydra? I think so. And I wouldn't do it again. <laughs> <laughs> Lindsay, why? Why? Okay, because if uh, if Witch Doctor had been at full health, I think it would have won. I think okay. if it had actually fought Hy uh, Huge, Huge would have won. Yeah, Uppercut, yeah, that's, I guess, a, a tough one. Like, maybe I would have changed my mind about that one. But the first two regular f season fights, like, I stand by that decision. And Hypershock, I probably called it for Hypershock, <laughs> just because mm -hmm. at that point, why not keep with tradition? But I do, I also think had Hypershock been working, it could have stood a chance. Like, I think I think if, uh, if Hypershock came in um, really dialed in, 
I think it would have been more of a fight. So I, I don't know, 10 and one, it's really hard to argue with that. Like who am I to say that it doesn't deserve that record? Cause it certainly does. Um, I do think that um, there's more to that story though. Yeah. No matter what happens on Thursday, I want to see a Hydra bite force fight very early in the 2021 season. I think that it it would make a great uh, <laughs> opening uh, main event uh, in the fight night format um, because either like one of two things is going to happen. The narrative for 2021 is going to be, um, hey, Bite Force is back. You know, Bite Force willing to take on anybody took on the toughest competitor from from 2020, and um, this this is this is kind of like the the king the king is back right um or it is there's a new king bite force is dead <laughs> right you know um we've seen bite force's second career loss like right in the first episode i think either way it's going to be really exciting um but yeah i mean for me like i wanted to see a, a hydra bite force um giant nut fight you know and and maybe we're, we're gonna have to wait a, a whole more season to, to see that I'm going to preemptively call that for Bite Force. Yeah. yeah. Bite Force actually beat Huge, like, by fighting them. Right. Um, also, Lindsay, how is it that literally the entire world fell for Hydra's troll about their keep-away stick, and you didn't? Because it was not going to work. Like, <laughs> it, <laughs> just looking at that thing, it was rinky-dink, like the only chance that could ever possibly have to work is if it didn't allow gigabyte to spin up at all. And then it just held it there. And I guess maybe that's a strategy. I just didn't see it being a plausible solution and had, had like gigabyte been able to spin up, it would have just like knocked that thing off and probably sent Hydra flying and putting it in a compromising position. So, and also I just, I feel like a, Jake would not miss an opportunity to, to, you know, troll us. So those are my thoughts. <laughs> the, rise, the rise of the personality of Jake Ewart this season has been um, really great. I think that he's, he's kind of like the, absolutely the strongest personality. He's, he's taken over the Ray Billings villain role. And I love that he embraces it in a way that Ray didn't embrace it. Like, I feel like, like Ray deep down inside, um, He's just a big old soft teddy bear. And I think that that you can see that on TV where Jake is like, he's, he's our first true professional wrestling um, opponent, you know, our first true professional wrestling. wrestling he's a character. heel. He's a heel. Yeah, yeah. 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 He likes being a heel. Yeah. Um, I, I think the show would be unwatchable if it was all Jake's on every single team. Um but having having a Jake in in the in the field, I think, is really important um, because it gives it's a lightning rod for the fans. Like like they love to debate Hydra. Like I think that twenty twenty is going to go down as like the bike rack season. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I'm 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 really liking I'm liking his his story arc. Yeah, and even if Hydra doesn't win this season, I think it still won it in a way because I don't think anybody talked about any bot more than they talked about Hydra. So that's that's something in itself. Um, yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. All right, on over to Black Dragon versus Tombstone. Our third big upset of the night. Tombstone came out with its 72-pound black bar, while Black Dragon came out with its egg beater drum and giant chonky anti-horizontal wedge. The big thing in this fight was patience. We saw Ray Billings offer up his bot's wheels as bait, but Black Dragon hung back, repeatedly making contact with their wedge until they broke Tombstone's blade. Black Dragon's egg beater looked like it basically wasn't a factor at all in this fight. They lost the weapon early and wedged Tombstone all around the box. Again, winning on aggression and control. That, I feel like, is the, the theme. Um, it shouldn't be shock and awe. It should just be aggression and control for this, for this episode. Um, Tombstone ends the season winning just two of its last five matches, its worst season record to date on BattleBots. Your thoughts on this fight, Black Dragon versus Tombstone. It was so cool watching Black Dragon, new, new driver this season, and we watched them grow and we watched them learn, and that was really evident in this fight. Like the 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 discipline that it took to not fall for some of those old tricks uh, was great to see. What a relief to see. Yeah, Luke, you've been critical of their driving at least early in the season, and I think we all acknowledged in the last episode that it would take perfect driving from Black Dragon to make this work. Um, and there's some skepticism, but they really did it. They did it with their driving. I think the challenge is that, well, okay, all right. Let me be the stand-in for the uh, for the totally obnoxious fan and say that the challenge is that Tombstone has been solved for. <laughs> you know, um, like I understand that it's the king of kinetic energy and you don't want to go up against that blade. And every single time you put your robot into the box, it's, it's, it's un, you know, like you're unsure what's going to happen in a tombstone fight just because there's so much, so much kinetic energy that gets dumped into your robot. But I think we saw in 2020, I can beat Tombstone by just putting a giant wedge on my robot. And it doesn't matter what my weapon does. I just put a huge wedge there. Um, I think in some ways it's kind of, kind of cheap, you know, like, um, my robot's design doesn't really matter. Let me just hang back, wait for Tombstone to engage me, like slightly move the front of my robot so that he makes full contact with the wedge, breaks his bar. You know, like it's it's kind of it's like a little sad that people aren't 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 fighting Tombstone all the way, you know, like just kind of building a defensive strategy and just sitting there in the middle of the box, just kind of waiting for Tombstone to kill itself. Um, it's it's tough. It's tough to watch, you know, this this robot that we've watched, you know, for the last six years, um, kind of, I don't know, being, being solved in, in this way. Paul Ventimiglia wrote the playbook. Everybody else is just following the strategy. Mm, yeah. I mean, we saw season one, the very first championship match of the modern era. That's exactly what Paul did. Yeah. Um, and he even asked him, but like, there's this great scene in that fight, like, um, right before the match, Paul says, Hey, Ray, do you spin clockwise or counterclockwise? And Ray looks at him and kind of giggles. Like, why are you asking? And then he says clockwise, uh, unless I don't. And Paul goes, cool. Thanks. Hmm. And then proceeds to just drive his wedge into the left side of the bot over and over and over again. So as the blade is spinning back in towards tombstone, it's hitting that wedge, it's hitting that wedge, it's hitting that wedge until eventually it just breaks. Yeah. Um, and, you know, that was 
like that was really like groundbreaking at the time the way that tombstone was booked in that first season was just this impossible machine this impossible machine to, to do anything against and that was why, that was it why did, hold on say that again hudson why did he make it great well because he was trying to win the match man <laughs> yeah but that that sounded like he was like cheating it kind that's what luke was saying it kind of feels like cheating doesn't it maybe not cheating per se but it's like, I don't know, what's what's a good analogy? It's like Tombstone deserves to win a lot more matches than it, it has this year. And, you know, like, I mean, listen, if we if we built a battle bot, we would build a giant wedge. And if we ever faced Tombstone, like, we would run our giant wedge and we'd break it. So, like, I'm not going to fault any driver. I'm not going to fault Black Dragon for doing it. Just felt like... It felt weird to see Ray just kind of getting helplessly pushed around the box because he has no wedges. Like, if if his weapon goes down, like there's nothing he can do, you know. Um, like that that robot just gets manhandled, and like that's tough. It's just it's just tough to watch. I think it's a little unfair though to just say that they use their wedge and waited for it to break and then you know move them all around because I think that a lesser team and we've seen it time and time again, even from Donald Hudson, like a, a, other teams fall for those, you know, maneuvers that he, Ray does and their patience, I think won them the game rather than, uh, you know, their wedge. Absolutely. Calvin Eva driving perfectly all year long. And then it goes up against Ray and that perfect driving goes right out the window. All right, on over to Whiplash versus Valkyrie. This was a rematch from episode 10, and it played out nearly the exact same way the second time around. In this fight, Matt Vasquez again ran a heavy horizontal killing wedge with two extra pieces of metal welded to the top of the wedge to prevent Valkyrie riding up the front of the robot. Valkyrie ran its exact same configuration from three episodes ago, again running Mr. Cavity. Matt Vasquez put on a masterclass in driving, flipping Valkyrie early in the fight and not giving his opponent any room to breathe. This match went the full three minutes and Whiplash earned a unanimous judge's decision. Your thoughts on this fight? I didn't need to see this rematch. Like, yeah. Valkyrie did a little bit better of a job. That was cool. To be expected, right? They just they just did this match and were thinking about all the things they would have done differently. Um, but yeah, I didn't need to see it. It was... I was like, oh, okay, great, at the end of this fight. And, you know, the first fight between these two was great, and I really enjoyed it. And this time it was like, meh. You know, so bad scripting, BattleBots. Right, that, that's <laughs> all I have to say, I guess. <laughs> um, what a season, though, for Valkyrie. Um, sad to see them, you know, go out you know, losing the same way they did during the regular season, especially because I think – if Valkyrie had fought Hydra, I think it would have had a pretty good shot of tearing up the bot before Hydra would be able to, to flip him. Um, and I wonder, you know, if they would have been able to go farther than that just because of how strong they looked throughout the season. But Whiplash is their Achilles heel. Yeah, absolutely. 
All right, on over to Shatter versus Mammoth. This is another nail-biter of a match that went the full three minutes and ended in another split decision. This is a really interesting match for Shatter, which managed to break Mammoth's weapon chain about 60 seconds into the fight and then had to show aggression and control for the final two minutes. Without a weapon, Mammoth did a good job of scooping up Shatter and showing control. At one point, the bots did something really interesting with Shatter pushing sideways with his omnidirectional wheels being caught in the middle of these two tusks. But Shatter apparently lost his weapon toward the end, and Mammoth lost one of its wheels at the buzzer. This was a split decision for Shatter, but it honestly could have gone the other way just as easily. Your thoughts on this very weird, unconventional fight, Shatter versus Mammoth. Wasn't this a rematch from an Orlando Maker Fair fight? I think so. Yeah. I think like so. Mega Melvin versus Mega Melvin is like the the testing ground, I guess you could say, for Shatter. Um, and in that one, the, as I recall, I'm looking at this now. Yes. Okay. I do remember this fight. Um, in that one, the hammer came down on mammoth's battery pack and ended the fight relatively quickly. Um, I think that shatter just has too much reach for a bot like mammoth to matter to them. I think that a bot like mammoth, a bot like huge would have a really hard time fighting shatter just because that hammer is powerful throughout the entirety of the swing and they have a more than enough reach to get to all the important bits on those bots. Hmm. I, I was looking at mammoth during this fight and after this fight, and I was wondering, is there a different thing that they can do with their weapon chain? Cause it's so exposed. Um, you know, you, you could imagine building like a long spear attachment and just trying to, to to stretch that chain out or break it somehow you know like it just it's just sitting out there and it's such a long chain as well um so it's not surprising to me that shatter was able to find it and and swing it apart um what 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 are your thoughts i mean is like is is mammoth 2.0 3.0 is it like maybe an internal weapon drive that sits in the middle of the hub is there, is there a way for them to eliminate the chain entirely? Ooh, that's an interesting thought. Eliminating the chain entirely is a really good idea, just going with a full-on hub motor. Yeah. Man, I mean, hub motors are really great for spinners. I, I don't know about something where you need to get this much torque, but presumably that makes sense, right? Like, that, that would be a good idea, I think. Yeah. Either that or they'd have to get one big, long, bite force style chain guard. Hmm. Right. Right. Yeah, exactly. All right. On over to our final match of the night, Endgame versus Rotator. This was a highly technical match that ultimately came down to aggression and control. Rotator entered this match running two forks on the back of the bot and protected wheels, while Endgame ran its big horizontal killing plow. Early in this match, Endgame ripped off one of Rotator's forks, and Rotator succeeded in killing Endgame's weapon. But Victor Soto failed to show aggression and control, at times looking like he was running away from Endgame, which was intent on breaking his weapon with their plow. This one went the full three minutes and ended in a split decision for Endgame. Your thoughts on this fight? It looked like, um, you know, I'd say about halfway into the match, after Rotator's weapon went out, they did... Uh, I don't know if, it, if they were trying to build up some momentum for ramming or something, but they looked like they did a, an awful lot of running and they were like more on the defensive. And I think that they abandoned 
what aggression and control points that they really had in that first half. Mm. Um, and that might have actually cost them the match. Yeah, yeah. It's tough. I mean, like you you have to show that you are you are the aggressor, that <laughs> you are in your opponent's face for most of the match. You need to be like Matt Vasquez or Tantrum, Aaron Hill, you know? Um, and if you can't show that, if, if it looks like you're you're playing too much of a defensive game, it's really going to hurt you in the points. In a in a three minute match, if if you have two bots, each one has like some kind of high velocity spinner. If um if your opponent's weapon goes out in the first minute and your weapon goes out towards the uh, the second minute, you need to spend that third minute just just ramming your bot into the other yeah. one. Like do not do not give up until each of your motors are smoking and about to explode. Because yeah. like at that point, the only thing that you have to lose are your aggression and control points. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And that's it for this week's predictions, news, and 2020 championship recap. After the break, our interview with Mike and Andrea Galately from Team Witch Doctor. This week on the podcast, we have two very special returning guests, Mike and Andrea Galately from Team Witch Doctor. Mike and Andrea faced some early engineering challenges during the 2020 season, which they fixed with the help of their fellow builders, who helped them source and cut new metal for a new weapon. They entered the top 32 as the 23rd seed and defeated Scorpios in the first round, but ultimately fell to Jameson Go and Sables in a much-anticipated rematch that could have gone either way. We're catching up with Mike and Andrea at the end of their 2020 season to get the reflections on the past year and what's ahead for the bot and the team. Looking forward to getting into all of these topics in the hour ahead and about a million and a half fan questions. So welcome to the show again, Mike and Andrea. Thank you for having us, guys. We are so excited to have you. Um, you know, 2020 was such a weird year, I guess, like for the world. <laughs> like, I'd love to just start with your 2020, um, kind of like going back to like maybe going back nine months to like the summer of 2020. You know, COVID is in full swing. Um, BattleBots has postponed um, the filming date several times with the builders. And um, the two of you are turning an ambulance into a camper van and preparing to go on this big road trip. Can you kind of like bring me back to that, that moment in time? What were you thinking about? Were you thinking about maybe sitting out this season? Um, what kind of like, where, where was your headspace like last summer? So like you said, BattleBots was postponed uh, pretty much a week, almost exactly a week before we were supposed to ship. So uh, our build went really well this year. We had finished building the robot and we were going to take the last years just to pack it up. So so the robot was done um, and it's postponed. And all of a sudden, you know, we have all this spare time in our hands. So so like you said, the pandemic, everything was weird. Um, we decided to go up to watch the first crude launch of Dragon up in Titusville because we're... I don't know, maybe four hours away from there. And, you know, we didn't want to stay overnight because of the pandemic. So we went up and back the same day and it, it was crazy. And we saw a bunch of people there that had taken RVs and it was a great idea. And a friend of ours was converting a shuttle bus, somebody that drifts with Mike. 
So we started thinking about, you know, building our own camper and what kind of vehicle would be best for it. And Mike suggested an ambulance. And it, it just seems so appropriate for us as witch doctors. And it had so much already built for us. And we, we took on that, that huge project. And once we decided to go to BattleBots, it ended up being perfect because we, we ended up going to California in the ambulance. Well, every, every time that BattleBots like delayed the, the uh, or postponed their, their dates, it was like less and less likely to happen. You know, that's how we felt. So, um, and COVID was getting worse and worse too as, the, as, as they kept postponing it. So it was kind of like, at some point, we just kind of cut our losses and said like, look, you know, even though the robots ready to go the way California was looking, like we just figured, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't going to happen. Um, and a lot of, you know, they really hedged their bets to kind of, to kind of get everybody on board. Uh, the BattleBots did like a great job with, they had this whole, they call it like the COVID Bible that they kept like, it was like a hundred page document about protocols and how they're going to test and how they're going to like, stop an outbreak and all the like things they're going to do to enforce it at the event. And, um, you know, it's kind of like a living document and they just kept updating it, uh, as they, you know, as they, as the, as the months progressed, like to try to get the city of long beach on board and all the, like the filming, you know, the production crews and all that to like buy off on this document, obviously discovery had to buy off on it as well, uh, to, you know, make everybody feel safe enough to, to let the show go on. I, um, I'm so curious about the process of making the decision. It sounded at least from the outside that you made the decision while you were on the road. Like, is that accurate? Like, were you still on the fence by the time that you left? And did you talk it over on these kind of this long, long drive uh, through the, through the Western yeah. US? Yeah. So, I mean, uh, yeah, as, uh, you know, after each of these delays, at some point we're just like, you know, this is not going to happen. Um, and like Andrea said, we, we kind of decided to build this or like buy this ambulance and start converting it uh, because because of COVID, like uh, my work had slowed down. Uh, I'm, I'm a consulting engineer. So like we're working on a big project with international clients and the clients, you know, they're getting hit with COVID too. So they basically put everything on hold. Um, so work slowed down a lot for me and Andrea had left her her job earlier in the year, so early last year. So it was like, we were both kind of had a bunch of time on our hands. Uh, you know, most of our time uh, in our normal life is spent like either doing battle bots or, or some robot related thing or running the makerspace or whatever. So we had all this extra time for like working on this ambulance uh, to do this road trip. And in the meantime, you know, battle bots is getting delayed and getting postponed and we don't think it's going to happen. So we, you know, plan this big trip and, uh, as the, as the event, uh, or then they finally lock down dates and they're going to, they're moving forward with it. And, you know, and, and we said, we're not going. Yeah. We, so. we, we had made the decision that we weren't going to go because, you know, like I'd mentioned before, this COVID Bible was like, um, a working document and they had, you know, they had things in place, um, to, you know, stop an outbreak and stuff like that. And they were going to do COVID testing and all this but it didn't really have, like we felt it needed more detail. Um, and the biggest issue was like, what happens if there is an outbreak? Are they gonna stop the whole production? So there was a lot of kind of unanswered questions that like made us decide to not go. And so we're working, you know, we're working on the ambulance to get to, to go on this trip. And 
as we're as we're kind of approaching this our our, our the beginning of our trip, um, BattleBots is you know they're getting we're getting closer and closer to the event date as well. Yeah, we left for our trip about a month before BattleBots. Yeah. So we're talking with our team, you know, every week basically. Like everybody's, we're still all on board with this. You know, here's the new information. Um, and when we're about a couple of weeks before, you know, now it, it's more teams are confirming that they're going. We're getting more um, details. Like Mike said, it looks like they're taking it really seriously. Um, so, you know, the team kind of starts slowly like, well, what if we don't fly out there? What if people drive out there? Well, what if we get there earlier and we like quarantine before and, you know, pretty clear that everybody wanted to go and wanted to make it work. And there's definitely like FOMO, big time FOMO, <laughs> yeah. you know, like everybody's announcing they're going. We're like, oh man. And the, and Witch Doctor has been ready to go since March, you know? So it's like, it's such a shame. It would be such a shame to have missed out on it, knowing the robots, you know, and we went, we bought or had spares and spares and spares made. Like we had, we were ready for this season, you know, um, or so we thought. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> so we like, it, it just, everybody kind of like edging us like, Oh, you know, well, what if we, what if we like get a, we'll get an Airbnb. We won't stay at the hotel. Like we kind of started working through all the, everybody's concerns, uh, all the team's concerns. And we also had to work out, we're in the middle of Yellowstone national park. So we barely have cell phone service. We're trying to work out, you know, all the logistics of how are we going to do this? Everybody has to get tested COVID tested before leaving. And there is obviously no COVID testing in the middle of the national park. So we have to, you know, drive out of the park to Jackson Hole to get tested. Um, we're, we're like trying to calculate, like, is it possible for us to make it to California in the time that we have left, you know, in, in a week? So it was, um, it's just kind of all worked out. But, but yeah, it was not planned that way. When we left home a month before, we were sure we weren't going to battle lots. Well, me, and also even like to top it off, like the team. So our team is kind of dispersed. Uh, we have a, a few team members in Florida. Uh, but not, we have like two team members local to us and then two team members about three hours away. And then we have a team member in Michigan. So we have a few team members kind of spread around. So even though the robot was like done in March, it wasn't really packed. Like we still, you know, we shipped like two giant crates worth of stuff and uh, there was still a lot of packing and to do and like organizing parts and making sure we had spares and hardware and buying like, you know, a lot of different little things. And um, so we were obviously not even in the state or even close. So the team, our team members were finally, we decided we're like, if we're going to go, you guys have to basically go pack everything like this weekend. And they made it happen. Um, and obviously we, we couldn't have done it without them because we were super far away and the, you know, everybody came together and there was still some painting that needed to be done. Like, so every, the team showed up without us there, without our supervision, did everything, got everything packed. Not everything shipped without us. Yeah, they rock. They really made our, it happen. Yeah, our team kicks ass. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, we have a question from Big Dill team member Brandon Bennett Young, who asks, how was it like for you guys at BattleBots filming? I'm sure your unique pitting situation led to a different dynamic than most others had. I was not aware that Witch Doctor had a unique pitting situation. So maybe you could tell us more about, about kind of like your pit area and what made it unique and then just generally kind of like your your experience at BattleBots like in the middle of a pandemic 
Yeah, I mean, like we were saying, we were very hesitant to go to BattleBots. Um, between the builders and the staff, I think there were about 700 people on set for two weeks, which is insane to do in the middle of a pandemic. Um, so we were, you know, one of our main concerns to BattleBots was, how are you going to do the pits? Like, we are on top of each other always in the pits. And they assured us that it was going to be separate, whatever. And then um, before we had said we were going to go, they were working on the Bounty Hunters show. And they... You know, Greg calls us, tells us that he um, that they wanted us to be one of the bounty hunters. Um, there was possibility that we'd go and only do the bounty hunters at that point. Um, but once we accepted that we were going to do the bounty hunter, then he called us back and he said, hey, you know what? The bounty hunters are actually going to have their own pit area. It's, you know, six teams that are going to be the bounty hunter legends. And, and they're going to be on the other side in their own pit area. So, you know, I think this addresses some of your concerns. You don't have to be in the main pit. You can be over here with just with Chomp, um, who she was pregnant at the time. So they were being super cautious. Ice Wave and Bronco were only going to show up for a match or two. Um, but, you know, I think at first when people realized that we had, you know, a separate pit area, everybody was kind of like wondering what it was about and if it was special treatment. Yeah, everybody was super jealous, which is hilarious because... Uh, we get there, you know, and everything's like, oh, cool. We got this whole, and it's, it's on the arena or it's on the side of the building where the arena is. So there's like literally nothing there except the arena and all the storage for like all the production equipment. So there's all these like huge Pelican cases uh, of like all the production stuff. And we're like, man, this is awesome. We have this whole thing to ourselves. We have like our own bathroom that's over here. Uh, we parked the ambulance on the other on the side near there so we could like go out there and hang out and we have like a refrigerator in there. So I was like, oh, this is amazing. And the first two days were like great. And then the day they start uh, doing like audio checks and stuff for the arena, they mentioned that they're gonna turn the lights off just for a quick, you know, <laughs> quick video check, camera, camera check or whatever. And they close all the doors. So the like they close the doors and turn the lights off. So the entire building goes like black, basically. They basically never came back on. So anytime they were filming, the lights in the building were off, which is all the time. <laughs> so we had a very, very dark pit area. Uh, we had to go out and get some lights. Um, it was, you know, it, it, was, it was great. We felt safe in terms of the pandemic because we didn't have to worry about the temptation of talking to other teams and stuff like that. But it, it presented its own challenges for sure. All right. So I want to get into some of your matches this season. So let's talk about uh, your early matches. First off, you guys faced Hydra and Kraken. Um, but you ran into some challenges with your weapon disc in those. So briefly, let's kind of go through those fights. Let's, uh, let's talk about that Hydra fight first. Um, if you guys kind of walk us through what happened there and, uh, you know, what happened with your weapon discs. So yeah, our first fight, I mean, we knew that our first fight was going to be uh, a tough bot because we had done so well the year before. Um, honestly, and I had not thought of the possibility of it being Hydra. I thought that after um, our performance in Las Vegas, it was going to be Tombstone. Um, so Hydra was a, a little bit of a curveball. Mm. Uh, and, you know, obviously they're, they're a super, super tough um, bot. Uh, but we felt pretty good about the matchup. Obviously, up until we realized that there might be a problem with the weapon material. Um, so at this point, after you know, during this match, we break one weapon disc, not both. Um, so it's not really super obvious to us that it's going to be a recurring issue. Um, the battle box floor is new this year. They made it thicker 
Um, we got hammered. We flew super high up in the air. So it, it didn't seem unreasonable that we would have broken a disc. We, we kind of figured if it was, you know, a material issue or something, we would have probably broken both. Um, so we were kind of thinking it might be an issue, but we weren't really sure until the, until the Kraken fight. That makes a lot of sense. And yeah, just uh, to let our fans know, the, the fights in Las Vegas, you did have a, I guess, a rematch against Tombstone there that you guys won, right? Yeah. Yeah, uh, that was, Las Vegas was a, a really awesome event, and we got to fight Tombstone and Bronco the same night within like an hour of each other. Which sounds very stressful, but very awesome all at the same time. <laughs> Um, all right, so going into the Kraken match, you guys uh, didn't think you were having weapon disc issues. Um, you had a close fight with Hydra, and now you get to you get to go fight your your fellow Florida bot in Kraken. Um, what were your thoughts going into this match? What were your thoughts about you know the the state of Kraken and the state of Witch Doctor, and and what did you think your chances were? Well, like Andrea said, uh, we didn't really chalk up the issue with the disc as a as a material issue. So we were going into this fight uh, with Kraken. You know, we didn't, I don't think, I didn't see Kraken's first fight. So, but we know that, I mean, Matt has had Kraken built for a long time for this event. I know he may, he's constantly thinking of ways to improve Kraken and Matt, and we've been competing with Matt uh, and against Matt for a long time in this insect weight robots. So I know Matt, we've had kind of had like a back and forth with two of our three pounders. Um, <laughs> and, that's a great driver and, and they build like super tough bots and he's really improved it every year. Um, so going into this fight, we know it's going to be, he's going to potentially take us the distance and we're going to, you know, get some big hits on him, and he's going to probably grab us and pull us around the arena. And, you know, we know it's going to be uh, a good fight. And we'll, but honestly, we think that, you know, it, it wouldn't take much, um, like if we can land a couple really good hits, we think we might be able to disable Kraken. So going into this fight, um, obviously um, my mentality is like, okay, let's not drive right into his mouth. And sure enough, I drive right into his mouth. <laughs> and, uh, it wasn't apparent at when he bit us or, or rather than I drove into his mouth um, that the disc broke until we got, you know, until we got released or, or made our way out of his mouth uh, and then spun up the second time. It was like, oh, super unbalanced. And, uh, you know, that whole fight at that point was like, the robot was undrivable because the weapon was so unbalanced. But we kept thinking like, all right, if we can keep the thing spinning and land a hit or, you know, maybe a kind of a lucky glancing blow or whatever, you know, the weapon still got a ton of energy in it. So we're able to get a hit on a wheel or on a whatever, if Matt makes a mistake with his driving or we can hit his, you know, somewhere in his jaw or something like do a little bit of damage. Obviously we're still thinking we can, you know, score points with this broken weapon. Um, but unfortunately because it was so unbalanced, we could not really drive uh, very well at all. So Matt obviously, you know, got all the aggression points, got all the, all the uh, control points. Um, and we got, and, Obviously, at the end, you know, we, we, in hindsight, realized that our broken disc probably counted as points or damage points for Matt. For sure. Um, in breaking our disc. So it was definitely a well-earned um, well victory for Matt. And uh, at that point afterwards, we're like, oh, 
yeah, this is this is not good. We really got to figure this issue out with the discs. Well, at this point, we're 0 and 2. So it's everything is relying on the next match. If we win the next match decisively, we might maybe be able to make it in the tournament with a low seed, but we absolutely have to win. So, uh, you know, obviously the best thing to do would be to just make new weapon discs out of new different material. But that, you know, that's the whole story that you saw in that Jenny segment where we have to source material, find somebody to cut it. Um, but before we did that, we kind of hedged our bets. So we also took all of the spare weapon discs that we had and we found a place to retemper them. So it takes them back up to temperature to try to release any internal stresses. So if it was a heat treating issue uh, and not a material issue, this would have helped. Um, obviously that would be, we'd be betting a lot on the fact that it was a heat treat issue. Right. If it's a material issue, it would have still broken. So our third backup backup plan, we actually had a teammate back home ship us a 2019 weapon assembly which we had gone through the entire all the way to the finals with it so it had a lot of matches on it but it also had never broken so you know if we we just kind of hedged our bets and you know did everything we could um and then obviously you know that uh chomp was able to cut those weapon discs after um blacksmith was able to find us a, a drop of material that wasn't even in the system yet so we, we got to go with plan A, but we had plan B and C waiting just in case. We were not going into another fight with, with those weapon discs. So just uh, out of curiosity, uh, so I get um, talking to Chomp about you know using their water jet. They're there and their shop's not very far away. Um, why, why is Al Kindle in New Jersey the right guy to find you the material? Um, we had just, I mean, we pretty much messaged or talked to as many people as we could. Um, <laughs> yeah. really. I mean, it's, we had considered even just ordering, I mean, we did order material from McMaster, uh, just 12 by 12 slabs of AR 400 because they actually had it in stock. So we're like, all right, we'll just get this, um, which was definitely not the most cost effective route, but oh, yeah. <laughs> you're, you're already at BattleBots. You can't worry about every dollar, unfortunately. Um, so I know that Al, uh al gives everybody a hard time and he plays like uh you know bad guy but he's a big softy and so we we talk somewhat regularly not regularly that sounds weird but <laughs> occasionally you know through facebook or whatever and uh check up on each other see how we're doing and you know al sat this year out so we kind of had talked um leading up to the season about like sitting it out for covid and you know and all that so um, when this issue came up, I know that he was, he's sponsored by Klockner metals, which is a huge metal company and, um, gets all his stuff. It's all air 500. His whole frame is all laser cut by them. And, um, so again, we just kind of had a lot of, like a lot of feelers out there. And I said, you know, let me just, let me just try Al. Like maybe, maybe he can come through. And this was, I think on a Friday or Thursday or something like it was towards the end of the week. Um, getting, you know, getting into the weekend and obviously BattleBots doesn't take the weekend off. It's all, you know, it's every, the, the off days aren't necessarily weekend days. So we're running out of time coming up on the end of the week. And uh, I'm like, let me just, let me just check out. And um, there was a Klockner Metals in Los Angeles uh, or Long Beach or whatever, but it, you know, we contacted them and they're like this huge, huge company they can't be bothered with like a guy randomly trying to get one piece, small piece of metal from them. <laughs> I hit up Al and Al call talks to his 
contact who's in New Jersey and the guy like, you know, makes his calls and calls his friends and whatever. And he's able to get someone on the phone in LA who tells him that there's a piece of material there. That's like uh, not in the system. It's essentially like a cutoff piece, a drop piece. And he's like, Oh yeah, they got this piece and whatever. So he you know sends me an email with the price and, and then that was a whole thing trying to even get it paid for because like, who are we paying? Are we paying this guy or the people in LA or whatever. Well, Clockner is such a huge company that you have to be like in the, the company has to be in the system. You can't just walk up and buy material from them. So right. it, it was complicated, but we, we got, we got it picked up at like 4:55. you know, as they're like packing up. Yeah. It, it was crazy. All right. So Ryan McKenzie asks, what'd y'all wind up doing with the rest of that huge slab of metal? So after, after Chomp uh, graciously cut some weapon discs for us, um, we knew, or we, we were hoping, obviously, that we'd continue on in the bracket. So we, um, through Whiplash, they ha- they're sponsored by another water jet place. And we hit them up and like, hey, can you guys cut some more discs? Because Chomp, I mean, they're amazing. They like literally stayed up all night water jetting our discs for us. And we didn't want to ask them for more favors. You know, they already, they got it. They kept us in the tournament or they kept us, you know, fighting. And um, we didn't want to like, and we tried to pay them. They wouldn't even take any money. You know, so it's kind of like, we really appreciated it, but we didn't want to wear out our welcome, I guess, so to speak. So we found this other water jet place that was willing to turn around a few more discs for us. um, Crane technology. Crane technologies. And they did it like the next day. Uh, we dropped the stuff off, the material off for them. On a Friday, and we picked it up on a Saturday morning. Yeah, you dropped wow. it off like in the morning, Yeah, right? super early, because they were like an hour away from us. Um, and LA traffic, you know, that's awesome. And then uh, <laughs> they left the stuff out in like a secure location so we could go Saturday morning and pick it up when the guy wasn't even there. So there was, you know, the, I don't think he would have done that for just anybody. Um, so I know that, you know, Whiplash put in a word for us to get that done. Um, so... We get the we get the other discs made, so now we have a few to keep us over. So we have like maybe half of the sheet left. And at the end of the event, you know, we kept it obviously just in case we need to make get more made. And at the end of the event, we're like, I don't want to ship this thing home. It's like a four hundred pound piece of steel <laughs> that doesn't fit in the crate. So we wound up asking around the other teams, and uh, it wound up jackpot wound up buying it off of us. And I think they might have split some of it with Malice. So it, it, you know, it stayed in the BattleBots community. So that's good. <laughs> that's great. And they only had to go to um, Vegas, right? So that's not too terribly far. Exactly. Yeah. They just threw in their bus and drove back. That's awesome. Um, all right. So you guys have new weapons, a great many, much of them. Uh, <laughs> you now have a match coming up with Slamo, who's been doing fantastically this season so far, right? Um, they're also big fat wedge. So this is going to be a great test for your new weapon. Uh, what were your thoughts? Were you pretty confident in the material or were you still a little bit scared just cause you've watched what you thought were good weapons break, uh, on you twice now already? I mean, I mean, what were your thoughts going into this match? I'm sure it wasn't the easiest match to be confident about. No, I mean, we were, we were confident that the discs weren't going to break. But uh, like you said, you know, Slamo is uh, Craig has worked on this robot like nonstop. 
since last year. Um, he, he works on his robots more than anybody I know. He's constantly like building new robots and testing his robot. Um, and when we had him on tail of the tape, he kind of told us, uh, you know, he told us like all the testing that he had done. He's like, dropped the thing on a moving vehicle, like dropped it off a building. I mean, he's, he's really put in a lot of time to make sure the robot is robust. And, uh, you know, the thing is like a, a small, it's a very small robot, but it's a tank. The thing's like all AR 500 or whatever. Um, so I know that, you know, this fight is not going to be an easily won fight. Um, I don't know. I, we didn't, I don't, I didn't, I don't remember seeing Craig's previous fights, but I know he's two and zero. obviously going into our fight. Um, one interesting thing is that we didn't, the configuration that he used for us, we had, had not seen before. We did not know he had that configuration in particular. Um, not that it, you know, it's, it was, they're all wedges, you know, the wedges are the, the part of his robot that, you know, he, he d uses for control. Um, but that's something that's actually been really different for us this season, because like last year we fought a lot of a wide variety of types of robots. A lot of them were spinners. This season, if you look at our whole um, fight card fight and then Slamo and Scorpius, we're fighting a lot of control robots and control robots tend to have very, very hard armor. You know, like, like Mike said, AR 400, 500 hard ox armor, uh, which is the toughest test for our, our weapons. Uh, and at the, we were joking because at the end of the match with Slamo, uh, which Dr. Slams into the wall uh, and the discs don't break. So we, we were joking that that was like the, the last test to make sure that the discs weren't going to break and that we could, you know, move forward with confidence in the weapon. So hard fought match with Slamo, great match with Slamo. Uh, next fight, you got to take on Scorpios and that's got to feel uh, a little bit scary. Um, you know, they are the tombstone killer at this point and, um, they, they're doing very, very well. So what are your thoughts going into that fight? And uh, what was your big takeaway afterwards? Um, I'm sure you've heard from other builders that have said this, but the, the matches were usually announced like two or 3 AM the day of the, of the actual fights. They were announced super, super late. So, you know, we, we go to bed, we don't wait for it, but you know, of course I'm, getting up like every few hours to just check my phone, like one eye open, like, oh, is it up yet? Because uh, we're also finding out whether or not we're in the tournament. So, right. you know, I email and it's, you know, awesome, we're in the tournament, who are we fighting? Okay, we're the number 23 seed. So I'm hoping we're gonna fight one of the, you know, high energy spinners up at the top of the seeds. And here's Scorpios with the number 10 seed, who's, you know, like you said, basically a tank and a super effective wedge. Um, I'm sure you've all noticed that Witch Doctor doesn't really play the ground game very much. We've always preferred to, to use driving and just our, our weapon. And we haven't really played the ground game, but this year there's a new floor, which is making all these wedges a lot more effective. Uh, so yeah, so Scorpius is a tough matchup. Um, as far as being the Tombstone Killer, we don't really get, you know, we were very busy working on our, our weapon assembly saga. So <laughs> for better or worse, we didn't really watch all of the matchups. So um, it wasn't as clear to us as it is now watching it on TV that Scorpios um, had defeated Tombstone in the way that it did. Uh, but, you know, I think part of what made this match successful for us was Mike's strategy of just once he couldn't avoid the wedge, he was just going to ride up as far up it as he could. I think most people would not do that of just trying to drive at the wedge as hard as you can. But I think that was a really a turning point in the match for us. 
Yeah, super effective strategy against them for sure. Um, and it seemed just watching from home that like this was the fight where you guys got your confidence back. You know, you could see um, with the Slambo fight, you were a little bit cautious. Uh, with this fight, it was just like, all right, <laughs> go in, like full hit. Let's see what happens. Um, okay, so next up, you guys got to go against Sawblaze, rematch from last year. Um, really great fight last year. What were your thoughts going into this match against Jamison Go, especially since Jamison has made no secret that he has been thinking about that fight with you guys in 2019 pretty much the entire, you know, year and some months since that fight happened? You know, it wasn't apparent at the time, unfortunately, that he had uh, set his eyes on, on, on that rematch. Um, you know, us being in a segregated pit by ourselves, really, and obviously with the COVID protocols. So another thing that they did this year was they had this, they spread everybody out, but they also created like a East and West pit area. So people were not able to like cross over into the other half of the pit. Um, so half the team were basically segregated from the other half. There were like different food stations. There was different bathrooms. There was different, like everything. So nobody from West was, should be going to East. And, um, we were obviously on the other side of the building by ourselves, completely by ourselves. Um, so they would, because we were by ourselves, we had no idea that there was lunch being served or anything like that. They would like bring the food over to us. And so we were like super segregated from everybody, which really changed the um, kind of the dynamic of like, when you're gonna fight someone, you go over and you chat with them and kind of like, you know, I wouldn't say you spy on them, but I'd say you take uh, you know, take inventory of like what's going on in their pit. Like, are they hustling? Are they outside grinding their wedge? Are they, you know, put you're trying to see like, are they putting on forks? Are they changing their weapon out? Um, you know, and it's no secret. I think everybody does that. And they've played that up on the show a lot this year. Uh, For sure. It's going over and like measuring other robots. Like Shatter did that. Uh, and like Shatter did that to us when he fought us last year, like with his little pool noodle. So um, us being on the other side really like isolated us, I think, from being able to kind of like immerse ourselves in our competitiveness and maybe like put us off our game a little bit. But, um, you know, Sawblaze, we saw, I saw Sawblaze's fight against Uppercut on the TV or, you know, a pit area. They had like TVs in the pit, but we didn't see his other fights. I didn't see his other fights. And we, we know the, the robot was largely the same as last year, but like we didn't really appreciate, or I didn't appreciate how much effort he put into like the small details of Sawblaze um, for this year that were a result of us beating him last year. So not to say that we were like overly confident, obviously Sawblaze is, has been like destroying people. Um, which is super apparent watching the show. Now you're like, damn, Sawblaze <laughs> wow, that's insane. Um, then the uppercut fight. So I was like, he's like tearing people up, you know? So we, we go into the fight and I'm thinking, you know, it's going to be the same as last year. Like, not that we're going to win, but strategy is the, the same. He can, he could have handily beat us last year. Don't kid yourselves. You know, his <laughs> robot, um, super powerful drive. Jameson's been, competing in you know robot combat longer than i have uh he's excellent driver we compete 
competed against him in the insect weight classes. Uh, he's like one of the first people we met doing these small robots um, back in 2011 or something. Um, so we've, you know, we know that he's a good driver, great robot builder, and uh, he had, obviously we were able to disable his weapon last year, which I think was like a big part of, of how the match uh, went our way. Um, but yeah, so going into this fight, we're like, okay, well, we'll just, I'll just try to mess up his forks so he can't get under us. And hopefully I can catch him, uh, you know, making a mistake with driving and I will land a few hits and just kind of stay on top of them. Kind of similar, like we did last year, but uh, obviously like, the first coming out or like the first, uh, the first engagement in the fight, you know, he gets, he gets under us or I over rotate, he gets under us on the side and he's able to land like a huge hit right at the beginning of the match, which doesn't impair the functionality of the robot. It just, you know, just changes like the, uh, your, 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 yeah, your, your mental, like mental state. Yeah. And I think Jameson would probably tell you the same thing that, you know, every time we, enter the battle box with him. Whoever gets the first big hit, uh, is it doesn't mean that they're going to win, but it, they have the upper hand from there on out. You know, like it's really a battle for that really one first big hit. Um, and last year we got it and this year he got it. Um, so I think the major difference between um, last season and this season was that we were able to disable his weapon, like Mike said, earlier on in the fight. That makes a lot of sense. Um, all right, so let's go into talking about kind of like thoughts on the 2020 season and how that's going to affect your bot going forward and, and you know, your, your strategies going forward. Um, so the first question that we have is from Noel Villegas, who asks, other than breaking discs, would you say that this watch, Witch Doctor is better than last year's or at least on par with last year's Witch Doctor? Um, this year's Witch Doctor is largely the same as last year's witch doctor um it is an entirely new build but like every part of the robot is new um and we kind of we try to improve or incrementally improve a lot of the little issues like uh the way the front uh, armor and and rail mounts uh we did a little bit differently because of things we learned in our fight against tombstone at the amazon event um but for the most part, we try to, you know, we were, everybody's trying to be 250 pounds, right? Because if you're not, you're at a weight disadvantage. If you're over, obviously they don't let you compete. So last year when we showed up, the robot was like 250 something, over 250. Then we had to cut some parts and do some things to to take, get the weight down to 250. So this year we, we tried to uh, optimize the weight uh, a little bit and obviously be under 250 pounds. And we were like right at 250. So um, it, it's just like, uh, I'd say an optimization of our 2020 or 2019 robot. But uh, yeah, um, you know, a lot of luck is involved with obviously like who your matches up, matches are and stuff. So, yeah, I mean, we were really proud of the fact that we all, almost all our matches went the full three minutes and which doctor didn't, you know, took it to the judges every time. Even our loss against Sobley, there was one second left on the clock when they counted us out. So I'll count that one as a full match also. Uh, but, you know, when you're competing against these really, really tough competitors, making it to full three minutes is is really an accomplishment. You know, having Hydra throw you around as much as we were and uh, knowing that the robot can take that is uh, really important for us going into next season. 
And you guys didn't have uh, mysterious smoke screens coming out of your robot like last year on a fairly regular basis. So that was that <laughs> not was a regular basis, but sometimes. sometimes. <laughs> um, all right. So Alexander Archer asks, is Witch Doctor coming back next season, if there is a next season? And if so, what upgrades are you planning to make on the bot? Well, we're assuming there is a next season because we're already working on it. So uh, we really hope that there is. Um, you know, we talked before about playing the ground game and there was a new floor on the battle box this year. And, you know, every, anything like that can, can totally change the game. You know, um, last year we saw the floor curl up so much that, you know, robots were getting stuck on it no matter how much ground clearance they had. That's not happening this year. So it's made the, the ground game, you know, you hear it. Chris and Kenny say it all the time, ground game, ground game. Um, we're, we're debating whether or not it's time for us to play the ground game. We hate it. We want to fight with weapons, not wedges. Yeah. But um, we fought a lot of wedges this year, and it would be a lot easier on Mike if uh, he could attack from the front every once in a while. Yeah. All right. Chris Holry asks, weapon belt vulnerability has always been a thing, but it's somewhat highlighted this season. Will this be one of the upgrades for next season? Um, we are, so there's like advantages. I mean, obviously belts are chain. And if you've been watching Tale of the Tape, you know this. <laughs> technical T-Rex. Technical T-Rex. Um, I like weapon belts for the fact that, you know, they act, they give, they isolate some of the shock uh, from weapons and they slip a little bit, kind of acting like a clutch. So I like the, I like belts versus chain personally. Um, where the belts are located maybe we we might decide to move the belts around a little bit but obviously everything everything in battlebots is a trade-off so if you move them uh, somewhere else then they that's a vulnerability there for one reason or another and i mean you just if you will look at the end game versus rotator fight um you know end game's belts are on the outside of his weapon uh and both his, his all his belts got sheared off by rotator just because rotator is basically cutting through his frame, through his pulley, and through his belts. I mean, it's and same with Black Dragon and Tombstone. Even Black Dragon's belts got messed up from Tombstone. So yeah. having them on the inside has always been for protection against horizontal spinners. Um, having them on the outside would be better protection for vertical spinners. Uh, and maybe there's, an, maybe there's an option where you can have, you know, you can switch from inside to outside depending on who you're fighting, whatever. Who knows? But... Um, yeah, that is that's definitely something that you know is on the on the to do list. Um, all right, so my girlfriend doesn't like robots. Co-host Max Hedger has a question about uh, the appearance of Witch Doctor. Now you've kind of talked about how um, Witch Doctor was working last season. You didn't want to change too much of it for this season going in. Uh, and I know you've talked in past interviews about. Witch Doctor's appearance and how it's kind of gotten closer to your original vision as the seasons have gone on, as you've been able to add more contours, add more cool details like the ribs. Um, so, like aesthetically, is Witch Doctor where you want it to be, or are there like some aesthetic tweaks that you want to make to the robot, some changes, some some shifts, some sculptural differences from what we see right now? Um, I mean, I think I think Witch Doctor's a very special robot and the fact that it's, you know, a functional robot and a competitive robot, but one that is not just a box with a weapon. 
Um, and I think, you know, the rib cage and kind of the whole aesthetic, the skull weapon and like the paint job. Like, I mean, I, I think all those things are really, uh, we worked really hard to try to create like a cool image for the robot that makes it, you know, visually appealing and also functional. Um, so, I mean, I, I think we've really, we, like this year and last year were, the robots were pretty similar looking. Uh, I, I'd love to do something, you know, to tweak it a little bit to kind of just keep it looking new. But I mean, to me, I think the, the visual aesthetic is, is, is awesome. Yeah. And one thing about our aesthetic is that, you know, a lot of robots make design decisions for the aesthetic, but our whole aesthetic is functional. So there's, there's no decision that we've made solely for looks that isn't, you know, effective. So our rib cage is very effective. Top armor, our self rider looks like a spine with ribs, but it's the right shape to be lightweight and flip us over. Um, so, so yeah, there's some tweaks we'll make to appearance, but it'll, it'll always be driven by function. So we've, if we do some sort of ground game, we've talked about incorporating that into, you know, we have like the hands on our wedge in decal form. So those may become more sculptural components, but it always has to be functional. We'll, we'll never add anything that's just for looks. Cause those are the kind of things that you end up getting stuck on where they break off and your robot gets stuck on it. So, you know, function is key. I would say of the functional designed robots, you guys are definitely the prettiest for sure. <laughs> um, okay, so Cameron Hutton has kind of my two last questions uh, for the appearance of Witch Doctor and the design of Witch Doctor going into the upcoming seasons. So what metal are the ribs made out of? Um, so historically, we've had two different versions of the ribs. Uh, we have the ones we typically use are, are quarter inch aluminum, just standard 6061. Uh, we've had 316 aluminum ribs made for this year. Um, in the past, we've also had um, titanium ribs made, the ones that originally in season three that had all the holes. Those were uh, eighth inch titanium. But uh, yeah, the ones we, we typically use are aluminum. But uh, you know, as you saw, Sawblaze got through that right quick. So yep. you know, we're thinking about ways to change that uh, to make that a little bit better armor. But the yeah, you know, the drawback is weight. Obviously, we got to make sure that we have weight to weight to go around. That makes sense. Um, and then Cameron's <laughs> last question: So, what are your plans going forward regarding uh, the weapon material? Are you going to stick with the AR-400 or are you thinking about another material option? Um, yes. The only reason we wound up settling on AR-400 for this event was that's what we could get. We were uh, initially trying to source AR-500, um, but it's a little bit more um, difficult to source, especially on like that really short timeline. So we, uh, we're thinking about Sticking or switching to AR-500 away from the S7, but uh, we haven't, you know, we got to do some testing and really uh, convince ourselves that that'll be the right choice. Interesting. So did you like the way the air, like, was there anything about the AR-400 that you preferred uh, over what you normally see with your S7 weapons? Besides it not breaking? Well, yeah, besides it not breaking, like, like, was there any other benefit to it that you were kind of surprised by or happy to see? 
Yeah, so, I mean, like, most people's armor, or most people's robots now are made out of AR-500. Uh, there's a few, maybe, that are made out of AR-400. So, when you're hitting, uh, you know, when you're going to hit another robot that's the same material, you, or a similar material, you want at least to be similar in hardness. Um, the AR-400, after our slammo fight, was like, the tooth was, like, basically gone off of the disc and those are like brand new discs going into that fight because his robot is just so hard um so you know even though we're the ones spinning and he's not it's it's still that impact that force is also is still you know being applied to the weapon tooth so um if you treat them as expendable you know you you have to put new ones on for every match maybe ar 400 would work a lot of people have are using like uh welding rod and you weld up the tooth to make it harder um but that just adds another level of of complexity now you're like changing the the you know the heat treatment potentially because you're heating it up to to weld this like stuff on um so i mean the ar 500 is really just like i think is like a very simple low risk um you know material to use it's through hardened the s7 obviously i think the s7 is can be harder than uh than the ar500 but uh but you know at the risk that it's brittle and explodes so i think the ar500 is probably just uh it's just like the happy medium yeah um that it seems like that ar550 disc that jameson was using was was pretty effective that was a neat little toy too yeah i mean they actually have ar600 ar 650 they have like a bunch of different versions and and you know the, the number designates the hardness in in a brunel scale so um the air 500 is actually harder even than our uh, s7 discs were about the same a little bit harder but um yeah like the air 550s obviously like anything that's not four or five hundred is a little bit harder to to uh to source yeah so if you had a time you could get the material but again it's why did he use AR-550 on everything? Probably because, obviously, it's a risk. You know, as it gets harder, it's getting more, uh, more well. So if you had enough time in the off-season and had a safe way to test, you could, you know, you could make weapons out of all this different material and, you know, and, and test it out and see what works and what doesn't. But uh, these robots are so dangerous that there's really no real safe way to test them. Yeah, absolutely. Um, all right, so... You guys got announced as uh, the next Bounty Hunters fight. Super yeah. exciting. I think a lot of people are looking forward to it. Um, so your Bounty Hunters bracket is Valkyrie, Extinguisher, Malice, Tracer, Huge, Slapbox, Pain Train, and Sub-Zero. So of those, who did you want the Bounty Hunter to be and why? Uh, I mean, so there, there's two sides to this, right? On the one hand, you want somebody to win that you can beat, right? Because <laughs> yeah. on the line, there's bragging rights on the line. So uh, if one of the lower seeds somehow manages to win the tournament, that's, you know, better for us. But on the other side, we always want to fight uh, the robots that we admire and the robots that we haven't had a chance to fight. So I think we probably have different answers. But for me, I, I think it's Valkyrie. Valkyrie has been awesome this match and that weapon is serious yeah i think i want to fight valkyrie yeah i don't know about that 
Who's yours? I don't know. I mean, you know, it's funny because all the I think the other bounties are like not really uh, stacked. I think a lot of them there's like a couple really good robots, and then the rest are you know lower tier robots or robots that didn't even get aired fights. But I feel like our bounty for some reason has like a bunch of really good robots in it. Yep. And, <laughs> yeah, it really does. You know, it's 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 there. There's a lot of opportunity uh, for I mean, any one of these robots to win. Like you know, Valkyrie has been like hitting so hard this year. Uh, I don't even understand it. Um, You're right though, because like Slapbox or Tracer hasn't really had a chance to show what they can do, but they I absolutely mean, Tracer had had a couple of good matches. Slapbox, even though it got beat by Tombstone, was like holding its own. Yeah, you know, it was. the robot's really well built too, so it's kind of like you. I could see them take, you know, being able to take out a lot of these uh, these horizontal spinners and stuff. I remember you saying you wanted to fight Malice. I yeah, I mean, <laughs> of the the robots I would like to fight is Malice because uh, I really like the design of Malice and uh, so cool. Have, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there's a lot of cool features and the way it's constructed. I like the stacked. You know, they have like a stacked AR-400 or AR-500 and like aluminum kind of laminate thing that creates their frame. So a lot of cool, um, you know, features that go into that robot. And I, I just, I like, overall like the design and I like the theme. And I think it would be a good match. Yeah, you really did have uh, the most, I mean, Sub-Zero had a great season. Valkyrie had a great season. Malice had a great season. Huge had a pretty good season. Like, Yeah. That had to be uh, kind of nerve-wracking watching that tournament happen. I can't wait to see it. Yeah, it's, uh, it'll be... I hope it looks good on TV. I mean, we saw... Obviously, we saw the fights leading up to our... You know, to the finals, because they... They made sure yeah, we Yeah, they watching. made sure. You know, they had those those opera boxes this year, which is new for this year. Yep. And um, they the whole point was that for the bounties, they, they, they wanted us to be in the opera box so that they could film our reactions to the, to the fights leading up to you know the bounty uh, whatever the, the end of the bounty and so we were so they'd be like oh you know come on so-and-so is fighting against so-and-so nda and nda let's go <laughs> and then you'd have to like they'd throw you on a cart and they'd drive you over so that you get up in there get up in the opera box for <laughs> 10 minutes and they film your reaction while you're working on your the robot to you know they take you away from that to to get your reaction and and so yeah, we got to see a lot of the fights, and there's a lot of good fights. So I mean, I, I I'm really excited uh, that it's going to air soon because like we've been waiting so long you know, for it to come out. So I'm, I'm super excited. Bounty Hunt, uh, the Bounty Hunters tournament is really really cool. I think that it was a neat concept. I was skeptical at first, but now that I've watched everything that's come out to date, I'm like, okay, this is a lot of fun. <laughs> this is I love it. I think it's such a cool idea. Yeah, absolutely. Um, do you think that this is something like, do you want this to be something BattleBots keeps doing? Oh yeah, for sure. Like I think honestly, I almost feel like the whole tournament should be this, like just a bunch of mini tournaments that would, because, you know, I mean, BattleBots is a competition, but it's also a TV show. Right. So right. if, if you had a bunch of different tournaments, they could like really nitpick like who they want to fight each other. And, and I mean, they kind of do that with the, with the, um, you know, the fight card format, but, you have these like all these mini tournaments and then you could have like the winner of all the mini tournaments fight each other. And there's just like, so I think there's a lot of room for, for other, other fun stuff to happen. But um, obviously like, you know, the tournament is the, the giant nut, whatever, you know, you gotta, gotta win the giant nut. So. 
I also like the pacing of the of the mini tournaments because it's just you know they happen faster. There's less matches. It's I don't know. It's it's a totally different feel than the the rest of the show. For sure, absolutely. So, Mike, if you think we should have a bunch of mini tournaments, uh, you, you know, maybe what we could do is we could have some heats leading into a heat rumble. Uh, we'll add a box <laughs> and just get some British announcers. And uh, yeah, I think I've heard of that before. Yeah. <laughs> so with. This season of BattleBots, we have an all-new Tale of the Tape with some major upgrades to the show's production quality. Uh, on behalf of our show, I'd just like to say, Tale of the Tape looks fantastic, guys. Thank you. And thank you for helping us with the fan question every week on there. And thank you for letting me shoehorn in a dentist joke. <laughs> <laughs> Best part of that episode. So... Um, before we get into the production of the show itself, I have one question here. Uh, is Will Bales actually CGI? And what is your current budget for Will Bales? <laughs> uh, Will Bales is actually a cardboard cutout, and we just CGI his mouth. <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, we can't afford full CGI, so it's, you know, we do what we can. So I, I'm curious with, with like this all new show, this the you know the formula is so great. Can you give us, um, you know, a little uh, background on how you're producing the show every week? What does it take to make it? Where are you shooting it? And tell us about what the editing process is like. So going, you know, we we discussed with Will and Hypershock going into this. We've done Tale of the Tape in past seasons, and you know, did we want to do it this season? What would it be? And we, we all agreed that if we did it, it had to be awesome. It couldn't be us rambling for an hour, random thoughts. Uh, we wanted it to be edited and to be, you know, ha have a real production quality, which none of us really knew how to do. So we, uh, you know, Mike was looking on YouTube on ways how to make the background look dark. We bought some lights. We played, or we're still playing around with it. We tweak them every week. So very much learning on the go. We've made a cluttered warehouse look really cool. <laughs> we should we should post some pictures with the lights on because it destroys the magic. <laughs> um, but yeah, we actually moved in Witch Doctor headquarters in with Hypershock headquarters. So we're sharing a shop for our builds. And that's where the set of Tale of the Tape is also. And by set, I mean two tripods with two tables and yeah. four lights. <laughs> Nobody wants to see how the sausage gets made. It's, it's not as cool as you think. Uh, but we film it every Saturday. We... Um, so we watch the show on Thursdays. We choose who we want to be on the show. We reach out to them. Uh, they have all been great sports because we have them send us content by Saturday afternoon usually so that we can watch it before we film Saturday evening. Uh, so like super, super compressed timelines. So we'll send them the interview questions on Fridays. Um, and that was a big part of the format of the show. So, it, you know, most podcasts and most shows do live interviews. So even even our tale of the tape in the la in previous years, yeah. it was always live live interviews. But this year, we decided to try something a little different and send questions ahead of time and edit it into a sort of TED talk about robots. And it's been really awesome because when you let builders just nerd out and tell you about their robot without interruptions, without feedback, you know, without us interjecting our opinions. Uh, you just get really raw kind of technical explanations about the robot. And I've, I've loved what I learned from them. I think it's been really awesome, unique content to, to get from, from the builders. Um, 
So yeah, so we, we film on Saturday. We try to do technical T-Rex on Saturday, but honestly that takes longer than the whole rest of the show. So it usually bleeds into Sundays. Um, so, you know, we all do that together. And then I take all the footage and I spend Sunday, Monday, and most of Tuesday up until about five minutes before I post it, <laughs> you know, close to 6 p.m. editing it. Uh, I usually have about a hundred different pieces of content that I'm editing for each episode. So it, it snowballs really quickly. It really um, takes a lot of effort to produce, but the response has been awesome. And it, it's been super motivating to keep it going. Basically full-time job. <laughs> yeah, we're no stranger to that. And we're not even really dipping into the into the video pool. So I, um, I can empathize with you guys only to a certain extent though. <laughs> Speaking of audio, we actually, um, I reached out for help because like I said, we don't know what we're doing. We're figuring it out along the way. And uh, I didn't really have the time to become an audio editor, a proficient audio editor. So I reached out on Facebook and I said, hey, anybody know how to do this and willing to do it for no money? And uh, we met Jeff Duke, who was a stranger at the time. And uh, he signed up to edit the audio for, I guess, I think he jumped on on the third episode. So he's done, you know, mm. 10 episodes at this point. So I sent him the files Saturday night, by Sunday morning, the audio is edited, ready to go, synced up between all the difficulties. We have three mics. So he's really, really made my job easier. And he's saved us like so many times we've had issues with audio, like, oh, we totally forgot to hit record on my microphone, but everybody else's is fine. And he somehow, <laughs> some way, miracle, like got my audio off Andrea's microphone and, you know, saved the show for that week, honestly. Like we'd have to reshoot the whole thing if it wasn't for him. Yeah, Jeff Rocks. I think uh, I think once in our in our two season tenure now we've actually recorded an entire podcast but forgot to hit the record button. <laughs> it's painful. Yeah, it really is, especially if you have some good humdingers in there of jokes. I know, right? And then when you go to redo it, it's like, oh man, I don't even. I'm sick to my stomach. Like I don't even want to redo this. Yeah, the magic is, is gone. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I have a question here from Mike Taylor. Uh, it's a weird question. How much does Will Bales pay you to appear on Tale of the Tape? Actually, we have to pay Will because he's such a superstar. <laughs> uh, yeah, but there's there's no... Thank you to everybody that watches our ads on YouTube. They help a little bit, but yeah, this is not a money-making operation. <laughs> well, let's, let's jump over to the real moneymaker. Um, we have consolidated probably about 385 questions on technical T-Rex down to uh, just a, a handful to, to save you a few hours. Um, <laughs> the first is from Nelly the Ellibot Captain, Sarah Malian, who asks, who wrote and who sings the technical T-Rex song? Technical T-Rex song was composed by none other than William Bales, who is a man of many talents. Playing ukulele is one of them. And the vocals are also Will. So that's that's all his magic right there. Are, can we expect a Will Bales tour uh, in 2021? We'll, we'll we'll try to work on him on that. But uh... if his BattleBots career doesn't work out, he has a, a solid career doing uh, jingles for prehistoric creatures. <laughs> I have another question from Cameron Hutton, who asks: Deep down, does Will really love technical T Rex? Absolutely not. <laughs> Yeah, that um, we're, we're trying to keep them from battling it out, but uh, there's been some comments on YouTube asking who would win in a fight between Will and Technical T-Rex, and I'm not sure I want to find out. Is this a battle of the wits? 
Uh, I, I guess we'll find out. I, I don't know. I don't know what kind of battle it would be. I, you know, I'm curious if you could provide any um, details behind the camera of, you know, where exactly the the fissure in their relationship came from. You know, I don't know, because I was going to say that it started off just a casual working relationship. And then all of a sudden, uh, I think with the first time we we said Will can answer some questions, but we actually cut to technical T-Rex. I think Will is a Will's hyper competitive, if you hadn't realized. And uh, the fact that Technical T-Rex gets to steal a little bit of his spotlight really, uh, really bugs him out. That's understandable. And uh, Dane Ironfoot kind of has the same thoughts about Pete Abramson. And Dane wants to know, should Pete Abramson worry about Technical T-Rex coming after his job? I certainly hope that he stays up at night worrying about this because... Uh, yeah, I for one would love to see Technical T Rex as a as a namesake on BattleBots' TV show. They would have to pay for a translator, though. I could see Pete right now just kind of rocking back and forth of the corner of a dark room with maybe a single candle lit, just with Technical T Rex playing faintly in the hugging. background. Yeah, hugging a Technical T Rex blanket, maybe. <laughs> All right, hello guys. Hello. Um, I have a whole lot of questions for you, so we can treat this like a speed round if that works. Um, so uh, the first question, uh, our set of questions comes from none other than Hijinx Captain Jen Herkenroder. Uh, and so her first question is, Mike, when did you start racing and drifting cars? So when I was in high school, I used to work at a local uh, racing shop um, near me and near where I live and that uh, that was mostly drag racing, but I never had a drag race car myself I just kind of always into cars um, And I think I started drifting when I was uh, Probably like after college I started uh, working at with a friend of mine and you know mutual friends had were into drifting and they I had a BMW or whatever and you know, and I thought it was like, it was a kind of like a jalopy, you know, it wasn't really like a nice car or whatever, but he, um, one day he like took me for a ride, uh, down the street and like drifted one of the like corner back street, you know, like warehouse area corners and then started doing some donuts or whatever. And like, I didn't even have my seatbelt on. I just like flew out of the seat, like late, you know, he's, he's doing donuts. I'm kind of like thrown out of the seat and, uh, laughing hysterically the whole time. Like I had no idea that he was even going to like show me the world of drifting and uh you know it was pretty i was pretty hooked after that but it wasn't until a few years later i got my first um you know like driftable car because i had been to hondas and stuff uh, you know in high school and i worked in uh, uh automotive like i went to i went to engineering school but we had an automotive lab and i did a lot of work for like uh like porting and polishing like cylinder heads and doing flow test development and stuff like that but Honda's was like the engines that we used to work on there. And so once I got my first rear wheel drive car, um, then I kind of started getting into drifting a little bit more and actually doing it myself. And, um, you know, it's, it's a hobby. It's not uh, something I do. Definitely don't make any money on it. That is absolutely preposterous, but, uh, yeah, it's a fun, fun hobby. So are normal cars or go-karts more fun for you? And what is your top speed? Normal cars are more fun for me. Um, honestly, I the uh, the weird thing is I get I'm actually get motion sick, 
So if like the G forces are way too high or a lot of like thrashing back and forth, which you expect drifting to have uh, to get me sick, it doesn't. But go karts tend to get me more motion sick than uh, than normal cars, honestly. So, um, and what is my top speed? So like uh, this track that we drift at down here, I'd say like the entry speed is probably like 90 miles an hour or so is what I've hit. Well, but I know a lot of guys have hit over a hundred like on entry. So pretty fast, you know, it's not like, it's not like a drag race where you're like, okay, I'm going to go 150 miles an hour. It's not really, really about top speed per se. That's cool. As somebody uh, who gets motion sick and prefers to drive like five miles below the speed limit, <laughs> this is a, a very intriguing and uh, fascinating uh, thing to be into from, but like from afar. <laughs> so, Andrea, what was the most difficult engineering challenge challenge you faced professionally? This this reads like an interview question where you know they ask you like, <laughs> "What was the problem you faced, and how did you?" Uh... There's really no answer. <laughs> Um, I'd say we both work in medical devices, so there's a lot of pressure because if we mess something up on the robot, you know, on which doctor, we lose a batch. But uh, professionally, we're designing implants to get put in people to, you know, fix problems. And, you know, it has to pass the, we call it the mom test, where when you put this in your own bomb. So, you know, I, I think the engineering challenges there, there's just different. It's, you know, regulatory and uh, testing things to destruction to make sure you are absolutely sure that even if the patient is going to go do jumping jacks when they weren't supposed to walk, that it's not going to fail. That's really cool. And uh, Jen's last question is, uh, what was the most interesting or fun project you've done outside of regular engineering? We have a lot of fun with engineering. Uh, you know, it's, it's not, you know, some engineers, and we run into this at work all the time, there's just engineers by trade just professionally engineers i think we're we're different in that we're engineers and a lot of what we do for fun too but it's, it's hard to remove the engineering aspect out of your daily lives like even the you know the ambulance conversion there's definitely a lot of planning and and thought that goes into it uh maybe not you know math like hardcore engineering per se but i think it you know it's just kind of like about who you are as like an individual and you know you take pride in fabricating and yeah I see the ambulance because we've had to learn how to do plumbing and electrical and carpentry we weren't really woodworkers at all <laughs> uh but that's the thing like once you can build a 250 pound fighting robot it's really hard to look at a project and say that's going to be harder than a battle bot you know so you kind of think you can do everything if you just kind of figure it out along the way it's kind of dangerous <laughs> <laughs> I'm actually going to um, pop in a question that we have later on from Mary Catherine Carr um, because it, it's along these lines. She wants to know, uh, I know this isn't bot related, but I'm dying to get a tour of the ambulance conversion. Is there any chance of that happening? And do you have any future road trips planned? Yeah. So, I mean, we, something we've been putting off for a while is we're trying to do uh, make an Instagram page for the ambulance. Um, we have, we have the page, we just have no content on it yet. Um, but you know, Andrea is like a photo freak and there's like <laughs> thousands of photos of our first road trip, um, on her phone. And she posted a bunch on Facebook on her personal page. Um, and right now we're actually redoing the entire inside of the ambulance. Like we like super gutted it down to the studs in the wall. Um, just because we learned so much from our first trip about like 
the layout and things that we wanted to do differently. So um, we've been actually in the process of redoing the entire thing. So once we get that to a point where it looks presentable or maybe when that's finished, we're going to spend some time, you know, maybe we'll, we'll post some videos and some pictures of it and, uh, you know, populate our Instagram page with that. I know probably the last thing you want to do right now is create another YouTube series, but uh, man, I, Chris and I have really gone down the rabbit hole of watching um, like RV conversion videos. Uh, and there are some good ones out there, but like most of them are not. And I would imagine like just your brains and your ability to like bring production value uh, would go a long way, but your plates are kind of full. So uh, I understand that. <laughs> we really wanted to um, because when we, you know, when we started this project, we, went down, like you said, we went down the rabbit hole of like watching every van or bus or RV conversion or whatever we could find on YouTube. And 80% of them were crap. You know, they didn't have really any, we were looking for very specific information uh, about like ambulances or, or whatever, um, whatever we needed at the time. Um, and once you get to a certain challenge and the, the build, you're like, okay, well, I guess we have to decide on how to build this shower enclosure. Like, how are we going to do that? And then you go on YouTube and you like hunt for a video and you can't find anything. Um, so we like, we talked about documenting our entire build in like excruciating detail, but you know, then it slows down the build too while you're doing all this. So it's kind of like, we were like, Oh, let's just crank out the build because we had a very tight timeline uh, for when we wanted to leave on our first trip. So Andrea took a ton of pictures and we have like a bunch of stuff documented, like, but like no video really per se. So it'd be really hard to do like retrospectively go back and make a video now because it's like, Oh, it's done. Yeah. Here's where our thing, you know, our water heater goes, but it's, it's like hard to do it after the fact. Um, but also it's very niche to do it <laughs> like during cause people, and there are, there are definitely series of videos that people post that are like how they build their entire thing, but it's over the course of like a year. Um, but to go back now and do it, I think would be almost impossible. We'll post a tour at some point. <laughs> we, have, we have to finish it first. <laughs> Fair enough. All right. Uh, the, this question is from Stacy Ward. Uh, she says that our daughter, Sarah, watches every video she can find on YouTube about Witch Doctor, which is her favorite team. She noticed that uh, Mike drives a bot called Voodoo Magic and has some questions. Uh, so first, uh, is Voodoo Magic an ant weight? Um, Voodoo Magic is a beetle weight, so it's a three-pound um, vertical spinner. And uh, who had the idea for Voodoo Magic? Um, that was my idea. It's his robot. I don't, I don't <laughs> know how to answer that question other than there's mine. Well, in, in the smaller weight classes, we each build our own robots. So we, you know, these oh, robots, yeah. are they're smaller, they're smaller builds, so... Um, Paul actually has Ting Tang, Walla Walla, and Bing Bang are his three robots. So they're they're Witch Doctor themed, but Voodoo Magic was Mike's robot. Yeah, that's awesome. And Sarah's last question is: Is it a mini Witch Doctor? It is not a mini Witch Doctor. It's a it's like a larger vertical disc, kind of more like um, uh, really. It's a four wheel drive vertical spinner, but it's. A, single big disc like uppercut style but uh i do have another robot deja voodoo which was like i retired voodoo magic and made deja voodoo 
And that one's kind of more like Witch Doctor. It's like a dual disc, uh, four-wheel drive, vertical spinner. But it's not quite, I wouldn't say it's a small Witch Doctor, but it's similar. Uh, so on, on the topic of uh, smaller weight classes, Big Dill teammate Brandon Bennett Young, uh, who's been doing a great job in the smaller weight classes himself, asks, uh, what's your history in the smaller weight classes? I'm sure many people would love to see you at local events, similar to how JMO competes with Megatron and I second that. It'd be so cool to have you guys at Norwalk. Um, so yeah, I mean, we started competing smaller weight classes like uh, 2011 timeframe-ish. And because, you know, BattleBots, like we were competing in Bots IQ, which is like the 120 pound uh, class. And that happens once a year. It's like a yearly event. And a friend of ours was like, hey, you know, they have these robots, but like way smaller. And um, looked up where, where there was an event. And um, Jim Smentowski from Nightmare actually used to run these events uh, in the, on the west coast of Florida, GCRS. And he's like, oh. And a friend of ours was like, hey, let's like go check them out. So we went and checked it out. And there was you know, all these like tiny little robots and it was super awesome because you know, the robots weren't, um, you know, you didn't have to have access to CNC equipment or any like super complicated manufacturing techniques to, to like get into this. So we built like some, I, you know, I don't remember what my first one was, but it was probably crappy. <laughs> and, um, you know, we just got into it because these events are happening like all over the country so often that you can compete, you know, every month if you really like, you know, obviously not during the pandemic, but like there's events all the time all over the place. And we've traveled, we went to Utah to compete uh, in Jerome Miles's event, which was Jerome Miles from, uh, Red Devil. from Red Devil. And he invited us to go out there to compete in one of his events. And I mean, we've like traveled a lot. We've gone to North Carolina, we've competed uh, you know, all over Florida and in Chicago. And uh, yeah, I mean, there's, that's why the smaller weight classes are so great because there's like so many events all over the place. In recent years though, we've transitioned more into running events than competing ourselves. So, yeah. you know, it's kind of a give or take, but it's been a lot of fun to, to see kids start competing. And uh, it's kind of changed the type of robots that we build because now we're building robots to have fun with the kids that are competing, not necessarily to destroy their hopes and dreams. <laughs> <laughs> Fair. Um, follow up to that. Brandon wants to know what's the favorite. What's your favorite robot that you've ever built? And uh, he follows up by saying, "Love what you're doing for the community." So my, I used to have a robot called Whippersnapper and another one, Trilobiter, that are probably my more competitive robots. But my favorite build is definitely Alexander Hamilton, which is a Hamilton-themed hammerbot. It uses a dueling pistol as the hammer. So it just strikes the other robot. No way. <laughs> so that's my, I really, I'm into uh, Broadway and musicals and stuff. So it's, it's a nice crossover for me. Now that Hamilton has, you know, crossed into the mainstream and everybody knows what he is. <laughs> that's awesome. That is so, so, so cool. Um, Jake Nickerson asks, who is your biggest rival at this point? And who do you hope to have a rematch with uh, the most next season? Uh, he says, I'm picturing 2021 as the Witch Doctor Revenge season already. I hope so. <laughs> yeah. Um, nowhere to go but up from here. No. Um, 
I think I would love a rematch with Hydra. Um, you know, I think the match would have been totally different if our disc hadn't broken like so early on. Um, I mean, I don't know. I guess I I could go for a rematch against Bite Force. I don't really. I mean, I don't. Yeah, I, yeah, I don't know if Bite Force plans <laughs> to return with Bite Force because he's he's won so many times. You know, right. maybe he'll do something Might different. Might get boring but, after a while. But yeah, Hydra would be a lot of fun because a robot wasn't at a hundred percent. And that's, you know, you always feel like you left something on the table when you're not at your best. So, yeah, I, I would say Hydra. I wouldn't mind a rematch with Tombstone. But, you know, it's it's tough, too, because he's uh, he had a tough season this year, just like us, you know? So I'm, it's like... I'm not I any mean, less terrified no, of I'm not saying that. I'm just saying, like, if you win, then it's like people are like, oh, well, Tombstone is, uh, you know, has been, whatever. It's like, no, Tombstone's still Tombstone, bro. <laughs> I appreciate you saying that uh, because I don't know people on the internet really some say some uh, dumb things things sometimes. Seriously, yeah, Tombstone is. uh, I mean, we've we've talked about some tail of tape, but like people literally design attachments for the robot for Tombstone. It's not for anybody else. It's for Tombstone because there's you know there's a reason they call him King of Kinetic Energy. And he will wreck you so bad. It's, you know, like there's other robots like, you know, Valkyrie and Rotator and all these horizontals. They're all scary. But Tombstone is a special kind of scary. Even when we beat him, the damage to our robot was oh. like nothing we had received before. Basically wow. trash. Yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty bad. Um, so uh, along those lines, I guess, uh, Kenneth Krauss asks, if you designed a new bot, what weapon and armor changes would you make? Oh. Hmm. You know, we've kind of gotten this question more often than usual. You know, like, what would we build if it wasn't Witch Doctor? Like, I feel like people are trying to tell us like something. Like, take the hint, right? Jeez. <laughs> um, I don't know that I'm ready to, to think about a different kind of robot yet. I don't, we haven't won yet, so there's, you know, room for improvement. Yeah. I think there's ways. It's a challenge for us, too, to, like, keep the robot competitive and interesting uh, every year. You know, like, I don't, although our robot looks very similar this year to last year, there was definitely a lot of improvements we made internally uh, to it. So, you know, and I think next year we're going to try to kind of keep it going and and make changes. We're probably going to make some somewhat substantial changes to the robot this year or for 2021, whatever. But, um, you know, I think just that's that to me, that's the challenge is like to keep it new and and interesting for, you know, aesthetically and, and functionally. Yeah, absolutely. So Ryan Hunter asks, uh, BattleBots co-creator Greg Munson on this podcast recently pitched his idea for something called BattleBots X which he envisioned as a competition in the desert with anything that could fit in a 40-foot shipping crate uh, being allowed to fight. Um, so this might put you on the spot a little bit, but if you could fit anything in a 40-foot shipping crate and fight with it, uh, what do you envision uh, fighting with uh, in, in this hypothetical competition? I think it'd be really neat to compete with a Melty Brain robot, and they're not currently allowed on BattleBots. But in the desert, like I feel like there's so much. Oh, I thought we were in sand. A, but we were in the shipping container. I figured it had a solid floor. Oh, no, I think like 
the competition oh. is in the desert. Oh, is it in the sand? Yeah, I well, think it in the desert. I don't oh. know if it's in the sand. <laughs> Could be in a parking lot in the desert. I don't know. <laughs> I think the sand plays a lot of uh, effect on like what you show up. You can't show up with it. Like sand really messes stuff up. So you can't show up with anything with like chain or exposed gears, like nothing. So it really has to be some DARPA level like thing. I feel like we're missing the spirit of the question. Probably. probably. <laughs> I would show up with a 40 foot long tombstone. <laughs> uh okay I, I think that's the winning answer <laughs> sand or not <laughs> so uh mary catherine carr uh has a bunch of other questions um after the the ambulance question she had before uh she says you're both insanely creative people with a plethora of hobbies and interests how do you balance them all don't think about it <laughs> yeah i mean I think if you're excited enough about things, you find time for them because uh, they're not work. They're, they're fun, you know, so. And we're also lucky enough that we have friends that are also into similar kinds of hobbies. So like, you know, I mentioned that we're sharing a shop with Hypershop now that totally stimulates us to work on the robot more and earlier and bounce ideas off because we're trying to one up each other, but we're also, you know, collaborating. So it's a lot of fun. Um, but yeah, I would say like with the ambulance, you just make it a priority because you wake up and you're already thinking about all the things you're going to do on it and you're looking forward to working on it. It doesn't feel like work. Yeah, I think I think that's the key is uh, making it not feel like work. Um, so as experts of voodoo, who do you think first implemented the runner-up curse and how do you think it can be broken? Obviously not with voodoo. Uh. <laughs> you know, we were super aware of the runner-up curse. And most of our design meetings were like, let's not change too much. Yeah. It works well. Let's not fall to the runner-up curse. And we fell to it anyway. So I don't know how it can be broken. Yeah, I think a lot of people, you know, you you always, like, you, like Sawblaze actually executed it perfectly. He said, okay, which doctor beat us for these reasons and these are the improvements we want to make. And they actually made those just those improvements and they all worked. Uh, so whatever he did, that's the way to break the runner-up curse. But, um, you know, really, like, people will completely redesign the whole robot because you're like, oh, I was so close. I just need, you know, a little bit more power in my weapon or a little bit thicker frame or more armor or whatever because you're trying to just beat the guy who beat you. But realistically, there's so much luck involved in a lot of those little things um, that – that like lead up to a loss. Uh, we tried to change as little as possible and we still, and then we had like an even worse season. So, you know, I think it's just, I think that's just a thing. Run up curse is a thing. Get it, you know, get over it, everybody. It's a curse because you just, can't break it. <laughs> strong, strong magic there. Uh, Mary also wants to know what are your opinions on BattleBots hiring builders to run sections? Uh, for example, uh, merch uh, being run by Will or fan engagement by Andrea or social or uh, social media assistant like uh, Zach and Diana. Uh, she says, is it feasible? Is it something you'd ever be interested in doing? I would love it if BattleBots hired some builders to run this stuff. I don't, I don't think they would though. No. Um, you know, there's conflict of interest also, right? If I'm running fan engagement, 
chances are I'm promoting my team more than everybody else's teams just because it's the team that I know. Yeah, I think I think the right answer is I think BattleBots should hire people to do this. It just shouldn't be builders. But it would be fun. I would love to do something like that for money instead of free. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, definitely. Uh, she follows up by saying, I just want to thank you all for the time you put in and please let Mike share more of his strong opinions and rants because they're great. No, she does not want me to do that. <laughs> <laughs> Where do I rant and have strong opinions? That that is that obvious. Everywhere? I don't know. Sod. Oh, God. All right. <laughs> So uh, we have a, a couple last questions here. Um, this is a related question from Jesse Mullen. Uh, your social media content is top class. Your merch is beat only by Will and Bunny. And your behind the scenes in the pits rivals the work of Boss FD and Shatter. And you've done many projects with BattleBots' blessings like BS for BattleBots. At what point does Witch Doctor get contracted by Discovery for behind the scenes and fan engagement content? If Discovery's gonna contract somebody, I really hope it's Technical T Rex. <laughs> I'll I'll hand the position, the first position over to Technical T Rex. Uh, quick plug for Technical T Rex merch. Uh, Chris and I got our shirts the other day, and I've already uh, worn mine several times. So go check that out. <laughs> They're comfortable, right? Yeah, they're they're good quality and they're comfortable. Uh, Dane Ironfoot asks, which of the new robots introduced this season do you think will become major players in the next season? And are there any specific bots that you're designing a plan for early? Um, I've seen a lot of footage of Jackpot already building next season's robot. And I think with their success this season with such a short build, I think they're going to be a definitely a contender with you know, taking advantage of the full off season. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they already have a whole new robot built. Yeah. I was really impressed this year. There was a lot of good uh, new robots that made, you know, very good first impressions. And I think a lot of robots, like returning robots, are, you know, iterating their robots. And um, like Rotator has, I mean, his robot has been unstoppable this year, uh, nearly unstoppable. And you know, he's just putting in so much time and a lot of people are putting in so much time and effort uh, to get their robots better than ever. And I think, you know, next year is going to be even more competitive. So I'm excited to see who comes back next year and, and you know, if people that sat this year out, if they're going to take advantage of the extra time or, or whatnot. Yeah, one thing we have talked about is, you know, we almost didn't go to the season. And if that was the case, we would have, you know, we already had the robot done. We would have probably just competed with that robot next season. And I think the robots are evolving so quickly that by sitting the season out, we really would have fallen behind next season. So I think it would have been really bad to sit this season out for us in terms of our, you know, tournament hopes for next season. Absolutely. I think, I think that's a really interesting way of looking at it. And uh, that sounds spot on. Um, so our last question here comes from the Shuntcast co-host, Dale Bruce, who wants to know, can I have your hats? If he wants a witch doctor hat, he has to make it. So every it's a rite of passage for our team. Uh, everybody that joins our team, like we, we actually um, added a new teammate this year, Curtis, and he is going to have to make his own hat. So they're all handmade and they reflect the personality of the builders. 
<laughs> Perfect. So, I don't know. You, you, could, you could bribe, I guess, somebody for their hat deal, but I don't think it's going to work. <laughs> Love it. Thank you both so much for answering all of our questions and, and just taking the time to talk with us, especially today on International Women's Day. Andrea, thank you so much for all you do for uh, women in STEM and STEM at large and, and everything that both of you do for, for everyone out there in the community. So thanks for just being amazing ambassadors. And we are so looking forward to seeing Witch Doctor on Bounty Hunters and in the Battle Box again soon. Thank you. And thank you guys so much for spreading the word of all the robot combat news. After the break, we'll return with this week's installment of Robots Around the World. Welcome back from the break. Time for Robots Around the World, or Around the Sea. This week, we're traveling to the bottom of the Mariana Trench, where researchers have built a new squishy robot capable of surviving the incredible pressure found at the bottom of the ocean. The researchers gave the robot a flexible silicone body, which was capable of being compressed without damaging its electronics. The Mariana Trench has water pressure of 8 tons per square inch, roughly 1,000 times greater than the Earth's pressure at sea level. So that is... Uh, pretty insane and uh, hard conditions to survive, but that's really cool. And who doesn't love a squishy robot? Thoughts on a squishy battle bot. What, what do you think? Do you think that we could see a silicone battle bot at some point in the future? Is that a material allowed in the battle box? Good question. Kyle, what do you think? Silicone, is that allowed? Silicone is 100% allowed. It is a non-organic material that should be just fine. Uh, I really like the shape and design of this submersible robot. I'm looking at a little video of it now. Hudson and I are both looking at it. Um, it kind of looks like a, like a stingray, or like yeah. a manta ray. It's really yeah. cool. Do I think a silicone battle bot would work? Um, not against weapons with any kind of sharpness. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's the point, right? I mean, you know, you you encase your robot with so much silicone that uh, yeah, it's some, yeah, maybe some of the maybe some of the hammer bots. Oh yeah, because the hammer bots would like hammer into it, but then they would just like hit the squishy parts, and they wouldn't be able to do any damage. Or maybe it would go like <laughs> yeah, it would make like a clatter sound. It would like act like a swing. Oh, it would act like a spring and just knock the hammer back away from them. Yeah, because it's so soft. Oh, that makes some sense. But what about a spinner? Would a spinner do the same thing, or would a spinner just cut right through it? What do you think? It would just be a... Just cut right through it? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think you might be right. It would just be a, The last kind of the robot would be in... The robot would be a Sarah Pine. It's easy to break pine cones. It's easy to break pine cones. I see where you're going with this analogy, and I appreciate it. What about the top of Ribot next year? Oh, a silicone frog. I love it. I think it could work. Maybe we, we should, we should uh, suggest it to David Jen the next time we talk to him. I'm going to bring a, a robot that is just 27 cubic feet of ballistics gel with little <laughs> tiny wheels at the bottom. 
and it absorbs uh, like other bots, like a like an ooze from Dungeons and Dragons. It could work. I could see it. We're big fans of Forged in Fire over here. We watch those episodes a lot. And just watching a guy named Doug cut up ballistics gel with like pieces of metal. <laughs> I don't know if that's going to work out. Well, based on that uh, show, we could just have a, a battle bot that just had a large dead pig on it. <laughs> Although I guess that's organic matter. This bot will kill. That's that's what they say in the show. They say kill. And we noticed uh, Hudson when it, when they say kill, when Doug says kill, does that mean he likes the weapon or doesn't like the weapon? Likes it. Yeah, he likes it a lot when he says it like that, huh? Kill. <laughs> so what do you think, Hudson? Should we build a squishy battle bot? It'll be weird, but okay. You can try it. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's about it for us today, folks. We'll be back in your feed next Wednesday with the finale breakdown and potentially a personal breakdown. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Bye.